From beyond the farthest reaches of our galaxy they come. Two brains pulsing with a strange energy. These space brains come to share their love of science fiction movies. Welcome to Space Brain, the show where we joy watch sci-fi movies and then talk about what was good and what was great. I'm Surrey and this is Mark. Hiya! Tonight is episode 35 so it is a classic and we are talking about the 1993 smash hit action science fiction demolition man with the one and only Sylvester Stallone. Adrian! That's my bad impression of Sylvester Stallone, but at least I can pronounce his name, I believe. So, which Demolition Man is a science fiction film, obviously, because we're reviewing it. And he's a good old 90s hardcore action police officer. He's frozen in time and he's brought back into the future to kind of handle a 90s criminal. So there is your spoiler warning. Spoiler warning, if you have not seen this film yet. Nope. Where have you been living? I don't know. <laughs> go, go back. Maybe you've been in Los Angeles in 1996. That's a bad place to live, apparently. Well, maybe you're cryogenically... Is that the right word in Frozen, this movie? Yes. Frozen, like they are in this film. And didn't you... Oh, no, okay. Go, back and, watch, go back and watch the film before yep. it took too much more about it. Because we've got to talk about it. And then come and listen to us because we're going to talk about the whole thing. Yes, the whole thing. It's well and truly worth talking about Demolition Man... And it is uh, directed by Marco Brambillo, I believe is how you pronounce his name. It'd be good if Marco spoke to us about that pronunciation. It's always our number one question. What was your number one takeaway, sorry, from Demolition Man? Number one takeaway is that freedom is a muscle car. <laughs> okay. Everyone knows Please that. Please explain. I read... Big engine muscle car is the symbol of freedom in every American movie. Mm, it is, isn't it? If you have a look at, uh, you look at Fast and the Furious. Yeah. They're getting around in all these done up Japanese sports cars because that's very common. But yep. what's the big hero car that the big hero drives? <laughs> it's a like a Chevelle or something. Yeah, yeah. Big Chevrolet, big, maybe. Yeah, if I'm right. <laughs> I don't or is know it an Impala? Moves. Someone's going to have to get on, get on me. Yeah, about I don't know. It. It's, but it's a big American muscle car. Mm. If you're Fine. in Australia, it'd be like a Holden, Kingswood, it'd Monaro, be a Tirana or something. Tirana, yeah. Commodore is more modern, but in the set, because this car, I know she says it's a 70s car, so it'd probably equip it to a Holden Kingswood, which I used to have. Um, so a real man's car. A man's car. Yeah. Or, a, you know, a woman's car as well. But back in the 70s, it was advertised as a man's, man's car. car. Yeah. And it's... look, there is a bit, and I'll come back to it a little bit later, of Devonlish Man, because it's that 90s action that, you know, the man does do most of the heavy lifting in this film. And Sandra it Bullock is... kind of takes a little bit of a backseat. I found that a little bit of a point of difference now that it's 2020. I can see I have to how say, gender though, has changed a little bit. It is, is pointed out a bit, though. In it the is movie, pointed out, It's kind out, of yeah. pay, it made a bit of fun there that, uh, you know, this whole male aggression, she, she makes a thing about, you know... She's put into the it. Put the hormones yeah. 
away and yeah. t- tells the two boys off for, for getting stuff. And the, so it's a bit of a, a bit of a tongue in cheek there, pointing out that he is a dinosaur from an age yeah. gone past. So and I really, it's I, not, it's not, it's not like watching Crocodile Dundee. Or watch, <laughs> no. Oh my god, do not watch it. Do not show that to your kids if you want your kids to grow up. Hey, well hey, hey, you got to look out for the positives. Sorry, look for the positives. I'm just saying that the positive is that uh, <laughs> they shouldn't watch it. <laughs> wait till they're a bit older and they can appreciate irony. Yeah, that's true. Let's the comedy is a bit because uh, I showed I showed the kids uh, that film because I remember as a kid back in '88 or whatever as I watched mm. it, and it was a good bit of fun. And then as I was just watching it again, going. Ooh, these aren't the lessons I want to be teaching my kids. <laughs> it's a knife. It's a knife. Call well, it a that knife. Was, that was fine. That's, that's not a knife. I do love, there's a scene in that, totally not science fiction, where um, David Gallipoli, the Indigenous actor, like he comes out of the dark and they kind of make it like he's the the bad oh, He's stalking, black, them, he's stalking yeah. them. And, you know, Crocodile Dundee plays off that to the American woman. But then he's like... He's actually a sophisticated Sydney person. The only reason why he's out there is like dads made yeah, him come out to the bloody, bush. Bloody dads made him come <laughs> no, out. I've come out for coral, uh, you know, coral bee, and it's yeah, I like that. It's a good joke, I think, on that. Yeah, it's, like it's, it, it subverts. Like well, you're saying here, there's a bit of subversion of gender. That Sandra Bullock or Huxley, who she plays, is is actually quite masculine. Like she she's into all the masculine things, mm-hmm. isn't she? You know, and especially when you compare her to. Um, the other main police officer played by Benjamin Bratt, Garcia. Yeah. You know, he's actually quite feminine, isn't he? Yes. And then even the chief, like even the chief of police, he's not the hard-hitting chief of police that yeah, we're used he, to. He, he sort of tries to he be, tries but he's to not. He but he's not, no. And so it's like she, Huxley, uh, Sandra Bullock, is the one that is the tough kind of into the action, into the macho stuff. Uh, and that that is so, that is subverting it. But what I mean is... There still is like basically that traditional arc that uh, if you're looking Stallone at the, has to save the day. You if know? you're looking at the percentages <laughs> of male to female, and this is an interesting media study I saw once, was yeah, yeah, basically saying that photographs or movies where there's about one quarter to one third of the people in the film mm. or footage as female, yeah, and two thirds to three quarters are male are seen as normal distribution. Yes. Yeah. And I, I didn't believe it at first, but I had a look at some of the example pictures they show and you have a look and can't help but think of that that looks roughly, you know, fair or yeah, even. Yeah. But when you count it, yeah, sure enough, there's actually only one third mm. or, you know, at most one third women yeah, in the yeah. picture. Yeah. And a lot of these movies are, are very much like they're changing quite a bit now. Yeah, they are changing now, which they're is really, great. They're really, really definitely, um, you know, being, being a bit more 50, 50, a bit more, yeah. we call it representative of populations, mm, which is yeah. nice. But yeah, if you have a look at a lot of movies, oh, movies yeah. they'll have they'll have the two male friends and the quirky female friend. Yeah, yeah. You know, and you'll see well, that in all of the uh, the kids' shows as well. Going back, there will be two guys and one girl, and the girl will be the brainy one. Yeah, that's a slightly right. weird one. Yeah, yeah. So. We won't we won't get into it cause right now. We need to get into this episode. Mm. I was, otherwise, being a classic is going to go for about fourteen hours. Right. Um, <laughs> but there is that Beckhamall test, which a feminist came up with. It's like the three rules of a female character, and I actually think that Huxley probably ticks those rules in a positive way, like not like not. So it's um, she's passing. got a distinct personality. Like she's got separate her own characteristics. Yes. She does take her own action. But then does she only ever really... Because the There are no other ever, female yeah, characters. There is no other female characters. But also, does she only ever really talk about Stallone? You know, like, does she only ever actually talk about what he's doing? Like, she doesn't actually cause her own action. 
because that's that third challenge for a yeah. female. So, yeah, but I mean, I agree. I mean, you take, I think it's just a pretty stock standard thing. Even go on to Netflix, have a look at 10 films. Uh, if you just take 10 films, how many protagonists, the main character, are male and how many are female? Because always the protagonist drives a story. Anyway, it's their story. So in this case, it's Spart, um, yeah, Spart, Spartan, John, John Spartan. Spartan. <laughs> oh, they're always going to have these strong John. ass names. It's always John, isn't it? John or Jack. Um, when his real name is Sylvester, like he's, Sylvester wouldn't work, would it? But it, but uh, but it's uh, John John's story. Um, so take ten films. How many? He's the protagonist. How many of those ten films have a male protagonist versus a female protagonist? And for me, it's like probably nine out of ten are male. Like you would yeah. find that would be the case. That means that the female is always, you know, second fiddle to the main character, which predominantly is male. So it's like, well. That's the ratio in my mind. It's about nine out of ten, you know. So, but anyway, we don't want to go too deep down into that. Um, probably you need to ask uh, me well, a question. I think. Sorry. Okay. Yeah. I know. You, you just sort of got me thinking about all this. Movie I know. We're going, starting to go. Which into of these deep. movies have I? It's like. No. Okay. Well. So. Well. The question then about this movie is: Is it a hope? Is it a warning? Or an experiment? Now, this is a tough one, I reckon. I reckon this is a tough one. For me, I'm going to roll into warning a little bit reluctantly because I also think it's possibly an experiment. So it'd be really good for anyone out there listening to let me know or correct me. Uh, but I think it could warning, easily be a hope as well. Right. Yeah, human leave. nature can change. We can accommodate. Yeah, okay, I get, I get that because that's kind of basically what happens. But I think it's a warning because society in the film at the start. So it's Los Angeles, 1996. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's like a real um, version of maybe what Los Angeles or society as a bigger whole was heading in the 90s. Being a 90s teenager, when you watched this film, it felt like that's where society was heading. Mm. Like we were getting very violent, you know, movies violent, games violent. It felt, you know, we had, if you take American culture, you know, they had the LA riots in about 92 or 93 um, it felt like society was crumbling a little bit. I think also like the criminal system seemed like people were go to jail. Same here in Australia, like people get convicted of a murder, but then they're only in jail for a few years, and it felt like there was more violence on the street. Um, and I saw this is where I think this is as a warning: is that okay? If society kind of keeps creeping towards that violent future, at some point there's probably a break that then leads to either a dystopian future or like we live underground <laughs> or like a split, isn't it? Like society will split into, if you've got money, you're going to be in this like compound that's all safe. And then if you don't have money, you're out there on the streets, you know? So to me, I see it more as a warning. And I kind of then think, well, it could be an experiment because it's kind of showing you, well, this is what society is like if we just let people be violent. And so I, again, also even at the end of the film, why I think it's a warning is that then, uh, Sylvester or Spartan says, you know, like Edgar, played by Dennis Leary, says, oh, let's just go wild and have a party and, you know, go crazy in the street and just, you know, drink all night and, you know, have an orgy and all that sort of stuff. And the chief is like, what do we do? And he actually says, hang on, you do sort of 50% of what you're thinking and you do 50% of what you're thinking and you'll kind of somehow work it out. Get somewhere in the middle. (laughs) Which is very, again, like, he doesn't want it to be as violent as the nineties, but he also doesn't want it to be as clean cut. No, as I now, did. You know? I did like that he he learnt and grew by the end of it, and was kind of reconsidering, going, you know what, it 
there are advantages to having this yeah. ordered, calm yeah. sort of civilization. We've got to meet somewhere in the middle, but because there's disadvantages because there are people literally fighting to yeah. get food, because, only because they um, have not taken that choice of mm. you know swallowing the the blue pill and, and yeah. being part of the the overall thing. Like there's no place for this. It the point was being that you're either in this extreme passive pacifist society mm. or you're entirely outcast there's yeah. no there's no there's room no for man. okay well some people like to be really serene yeah and some people like to have uh, take a bit more risks with their life they, yeah. they want to have a bit of spicy food yeah yeah <laughs> which which is banned also <laughs> but but even like the whole point of like when phoenix played by wesley snipes rocks up and he's just super violent because they are so clean and cut. That's the whole thing is that they don't know what to do. And so no. it, it shows you how vulnerable their society is if suddenly you have a maniac. And there is that line in this film that happens a couple of times where it's like you send a maniac to take care of a maniac. Yeah, you send know? a maniac to catch a maniac. So, so I think I agree. Like at the end, John Spartan actually, he sort of says, oh, I'm beginning to like this world. Like I'm beginning to like this order. Yeah. It's too ordered, but we need to make it happen. But it's but it, because he's kind of come from that... He is a maniac, like because he's come from that nineties violence. There's a little child watching us. <laughs> um, so yeah, I think I think there is that sort of idea of uh, you know an ex, uh, a warning because it's like if you let society crumble that much, you end up with people like Spartan and Phoenix that are just like they're too far gone. They're maniacs. Mm. They both they both admit they're maniacs. Uh, but then you can't have the world or the world in Demolition Man in the future is so the opposite that that doesn't work. Either. Yeah, I mean, it's a pendulum there, part. isn't it? It's yeah. sw- if it swings one way a long way, it'll yeah. can swing back the other way, the exact opposite. Which probably makes it quite a good example of the Blake Schneider, na- the big Blake Schneider narrative, the three act structure, the way mm. he says it, because it's like you've got the um, thesis, thesis well. and then you've got the antithesis and then you've got the synthesis, don't you? So yeah. it's like the um, thesis is what if society was super violent, like more violent than what we've got? Oh, it was it was over the top. Oh, it was over the top. I mean, Phoenix has like told the authorities to stay out of a section of LA. So, but you can imagine, you can understand that, can't you? Like this perception of LA where they have uh, the, the ghetto or they have like, you know, race areas that cops don't go into anymore because of gangs and stuff. You know, that's the perception that you get told through the media. So it's like he's taken over a section of the city that even the police don't go to anymore. You know, they don't, just don't bother him. Just don't go in there. He's got his own little world going on, you know. But what if in the movie we took that to a whole nother level where it's just this violent, you know, part of society, you know. So, yeah, whereas then the antithesis, of course, is a, oh, a world where you get fined for swearing. Like you can't even swear without the swear jar kind of kicking in, you know. Um, and then the the uh, synthesis, synthesis is coming together, isn't it? What he yeah. basically says at the end, you kind of need to have a bit of yours toned down and you need to kind of come to the party a bit more and make some decisions and yeah, yeah smooth it over. So it's pretty, pretty cool that way, isn't it? So a warning, I I was, sort of, I was going more the, the hope direction. You're being, you're being joyful here, yeah, so. I <laughs> And that's fine. I, I, I sort of see that the warning, the, the hope being though... The hope I saw was that human nature can change itself. Like, we're not uh, prisoners of one direction. We don't get on a rail and that's it. That's all we've got. We do have choices. Yeah. That was the hope I drew out of this one here, that that we do have 
the capacity as individuals and as a society to um, alter our, our behavior, perceptions, and our way of living uh, to, to be better. You're being very positive. That's what I think. Yeah. So the um, bit of catch-up news is that, well, we have been celebrities ourselves. Sorry, oh, we've been in the local oh newspapers. I, I haven't been able to move for <laughs> no, that. I can't leave my house without the paparazzi all up in my grill. Oh, they keep getting photos of us in the paper oh, no. because we send it to them. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. You send enough the photos enough times yeah. that you'll eventually get them in there. They finally good. show up. They finally show up in my front I, door. I think one of the things is they like the fact that they get the photos that were, they were taken rather yeah. professionally, I have they to say. They are, very professionally, very good photographer we hired. It, it means <laughs> that the newspaper doesn't have to pay a photographer to come get some photos and organise stuff. So oh, it's no, big good. time. But yeah, we're in the paper in the, the Coastal Times, Yep. Perth Now, mm. Yep. and Mandra Mail. We will be a man. Well, on online Mandra Mail at the moment, and maybe in the paper. And this was off this the week. back of interviewing Har- uh, Hamad. <laughs> oh my God! <laughs> Still can't wrong. say it. Hamad Al Sarah. Sorry, Hamad. <laughs> yes. Uh, he's now he's now an avid listener, and we're just going to annoy we, him too much. We got the interview, and then we, we pushed that. And, and this was also you know, our way of sort of saying thanks to him coming along. So Correct. We, yeah. We generated as much press as we could, and and that means yeah, local Australian things, which. I think I think that's probably quite important for such a, a a film created in such a distant place and culture. It, Big time, yeah. It's quite quite important. So well, we we try to help. So you know, um, Sylvester Stallone could reach out, for example. We could, yeah. we could probably get him a place on Mandarin Mail. I think we could. He could send us some photos. I think actually, if we <laughs> if we got an interview with him, we'd probably get on like the uh, the Perth Times or something. We 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 probably would. We'd probably get that next level. So yeah, no, it's, I think it's... There's no such thing as bad press in this context. So we're no. bothering them. And, and it was good to kind of talk about what you and I have, and we've never mentioned in the show, but uh, talking with the journalists, uh, both Coastal Times and uh, the Mandramal, that, you know, Space Frames is probably long-term vision, maybe to have some sort of conference happening where we do get people like Hamid and other film directors involved or writers and producers and those kind of people uh, maybe giving talks to the public about their films and about being a creative artist and and about science fiction or you know films in general and I think that would be something that Space Brains could really well and truly be behind. Oh, it would be amazing if we could get a whole bunch of creatives together yeah. thinking about science fiction. Yeah. And you know, really sort of trying to find a way of inspiring people to to create. Definitely. Because I don't think that we can have too much of the you know imaginative creations of brilliant people i don't th- i don't think that's possible to have too much of that is it no and never too much and and just you know so then they don't have to just listen to you and me either they go listen to other let's people. face it they don't listen to us <laughs> they just they just just turn over to look at our pictures in the paper oh no they just want the pay they just want the pictures okay so demolition man night as we mentioned 1993 Mark, Marco Brambillo, um, three big writers for this, Daniel Waters, Robert Rene, I know he's done a little bit, and Peter M. Lenkove. These guys are like 90s script writers in Hollywood, aren't they, these dudes? Um, and, of course, I mentioned good old Sly Stallone. I don't know why my accent always changes. But, uh, you know, I mean, Sylvester Stallone's one of these guys, like, he did action, he did comedy. He did 
science fiction. Yeah. And he kind of incorporated, the, and, and then really heavy drama. Like drama, when you take something yeah, like pretty, Rocky, you know, like, like it, well, and, surprisingly enough, even the first Rambo was, was pretty oh, heavy Rambo, on the drama yeah, as well. Yeah, that like, dr- that's drama. For, and, he, and he's written and directed these things. This for the, the reputation of Rambo, you know, it's, there's even a Rambo throwback in, in this movie here. Yeah, there is, isn't there? Yeah, Rambo two and three were just all out sort of yeah, action, they just become gun action, fights. massive but things. But the first, if the you're first going, one. oh, if you watch Rambo First Blood, and you think it's going to be like this major action fest, mm. it's I think three quarters of the movie is, um, you know, character introspection and yeah, looking at society post Vietnam War and and there's and all, there's a thing. there's a great thing like you talk about violence, like Rambo is violent, but I think in the first one it's like one person is shot dead. There's this violent yeah. study being done. It's like in the first Rambo, it's like one person is dies literally on mm-hmm. screen, and it's like in the second one, it's like three hundred people, yeah, the and then in the, in the next one, it's like a thousand. Like it's just it's cultural genocide. I think by the time you get to the third or the fourth one, oh yeah, um, and and there's a great couple if you're really interested in that YouTube it because there's a couple of really cool videos they take snippets from the film it's like you know in the first one it's a gunshot in the second one he's like mowing people down you know so it it does change but uh, like even rocky he wrote he wrote and uh, directed that so you know he's behind it it's, he's involved in it he's a script writer this guy is super talented when he, it comes the to story films. behind like, his rocky movie the movie was really good I, I don't know if you've read it so he he moved to new york so he went and did uh he, lived between his dad and his mum. They broke up. He was in foster care and stuff. He ended up going to a school for dramatic arts. He didn't graduate. Uh, apparently he's having trouble and stuff. So he moved to New York to be an actor. Mm. And he got he got a few sort of bit parts here and there and nothing too amazing. I, I kind of want to look up those scenes yeah. that mentions he's in these other movies. Uh, and then he finally decided to go to California because... Why did you go to New York to be an actor? Maybe a stage actor is yeah, looking at? Yeah, stage, yeah. So in California, though, he's going screen actor and he's trying out for bits and pieces and he tried out how to go at writing because he, he went and saw Muhammad Ali fighting Wepner. Can't remember the guy's first name. If you're a boxing fan, you know who I'm talking about. Hit us up. <laughs> and Muhammad Ali lost. And... You know, that really affected Sylvester. He's, he's sitting there going, oh my God, you're like, if this isn't, because he was in a really hard time at the moment. He was, he was living on no money and he actually had to sell his dog because he couldn't afford it. He said he couldn't afford to feed his dog properly and he didn't want to see his dog, you know, not get fed because he couldn't. So he sold his dog and had, I think at one point, maybe a hundred dollars to his name and that was be- before he paid any rent and so forth. And he saw this boxing match he went, Look, if this Weapon fellow can rise up and defeat you know, the heavyweight champion of the world who is the greatest boxer of all time, this is a fantastic story. And so he wrote uh, Rocky. And while he was trying out for a summer movie, he's basically chopping around. A couple of producers looked at his script and went, hey, you know, we like this script. Mm-hmm. We'll give you $360,000 for the script, but you won't be the actor. And he said, well, I want to be the actor. He says, no, you're not going to be the actor. We're going to get someone like uh, Burt Reynolds or I was nearly said Ryan Reynolds there, which would have been <laughs> funny. Uh, Burt Reynolds or yeah. some other guy I've never heard of. He must have been big at the time. And again, Sly, who had just recently sold his dog and had $100, which wasn't enough to cover his bills and his rent coming up. $360,000 
You would I mean, think you would take it, wouldn't you? In today's money, yeah, yeah. fifty years later, yeah. today's money three hundred sixty thousand dollars. It's a mortgage. It's a that's, house. that's a house. Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, I was explaining to my little daughter here when I was telling her this story uh, that three hundred sixty thousand dollars would buy the house I'm living in at the moment, plus my two cars and all the furniture inside of it. Like, which made me feel a bit sad that I, that's all I've got. <laughs> but on the other hand, it's good. Uh, but back then, you know, three hundred sixty. That's but Digley totally broke dude, but he said, nah. And so he went on and sort of struggled a bit and he went back and he kept shopping. He kept pushing, pushing, pushing. Finally, these guys relented and said, yes, we'll do your film. And he and, and you can star in it. He sold it for a million dollars, which is like oh, three times. And it, again, 1970, a million dollars yeah. is an absolute crap load of money. Three billion dollars or something. Yeah, just <laughs> put inflation on that. It's probably, you know, Script writing and acting in your first film ever. Yeah. And they they did the right bet because, of course, that film, it, you know, hit number one. Yeah, it just... won the Best Picture Oscar, nominated for nine Academy Awards, uh, won three of them. And, you know, it's the Rocky franchise has gone to earn $1.8 billion US dollars yeah. or something crazy, which, again, I was then explaining to my daughter what that was. And I said, so that's 18,000 houses like the one I'm living in now. <laughs> Which yeah, yeah. Mandra, I think, has about the the, the inner Mandra area has maybe twenty thousand homes. Yeah, yeah. So you could basically buy buy Mandra Mandra <laughs> for what Rocky has earned. Yeah. You know, so it's like so yeah, in phenomenal um, perseverance. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, Rocky's a really good movie. It is. And he's Stallone has produced and written and acted in a lot of really good movies, like yeah. high grossing. He's a yeah. Uh, yeah, he's he's grossed hundreds of millions, billions of dollars. Yeah. yeah. So I, I mean, I don't, I find that a really inspiring and exciting sort of story. Definitely. That yeah. This, yeah, he was just put, he didn't come from uh, yeah screenwriting royalty or yeah, he yeah. didn't have acting parents or any connections, but he he managed to do it. Uh, yeah. I don't know how many poor guys who sold their dog and had a hundred dollars and then they were broke and they just moved back. Midwest somewhere where it was cheaper to live and didn't <laughs> yeah. become a movie star. Yeah. But in this case, it worked. And we have Demolition Man today, thankfully. Yes. as it, And then this one, he's you know, obviously been hired as the big actor. I, I felt like I didn't look into the background of Demolition Man, but it felt a little bit like he, he probably signed up because Arnie was doing so much science fiction, I think, at the time. Well, because, this was his big comeback. So yeah. um, Stallone had done a few mediocre hits yeah you know uh which which is funny because a couple of them i was watched and, and i think were really good movies mm. but yeah so he's done he did a, a couple sort of mediocre stuff in his after his rocky and rambo and a couple of his other ones i'm trying to remember on top of my head but i can't yeah uh yeah his his star was on decline and yeah then still you know schwarzenegger had come out with you know, like a total recall and what was the one just before that? And, and Predator and, you know, like there's this sort of resurgence of this science fiction sort of action. Yeah. Which wasn't big during, like during the 80s, it was military Yeah, it was action. all military action. Suddenly we get to the 90s. It was, yeah, military and I suppose crime action maybe. Yeah, a bit yeah. With, with you know, sort of international stuff. And then you've got this sort of Robocop and t- Predator and, Terminator yeah, yeah. and Total Recall, Total Recall, and or Terminator Two, I should say, yeah. which was a huge movie. Uh, we'll have to do that one day. We will. That will and, be a yeah, and and bang. So yeah, yeah, I think 
Stallone was going, okay, this is this is sign me up for this one. Yes, good chance to get back in the ring. And and, and look, they bring in uh, some other big sort of actors with this. Obviously, Wesley Snipes. I mean. He's a big 90s actor. He was, he was massive at the time there. Blade yeah, um, and Passenger 47 and yeah. um, Wildcats. 47 or 57, I think. 47, uh, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, White Men Can't Jump. White Men Can't Jump. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he was, he was big and then uh, he had some tax difficulties, which <laughs> kind of pushed him out of the scene. He had a divorce yeah. and some tax difficulties. and I, I'm not sure what he's doing now, but I'm sure he's enjoying his retirement. Presume so, maybe. Might be ready for a comeback, actually. Maybe, maybe Wesley would like to come on our show and yeah. tell us about tell what he's us been what doing. He's doing. And good old Sandra Bullock, which, of course, this was her on the rise, the opposite to those male actors. Yeah. This is her kind of... Coming out of speed. You know, speed and Has she done Speed this. 92? Yeah, Speed yeah. was 92, I'm sure. So it's like, this is another big one, you know, a couple of big blockbusters, and obviously she's gone on and she's involved, been involved in the Oscars, and, you know, she's a megastar now on her own right. Yeah, she gets... Um, what was then, that one? Was that Gravity? Gravity was a good. We could. We should do that actually. Should do that's gravity. A good one. Be fun, yeah, that's a good one. I haven't seen it because it sounds like a film with with too many anxiety points in there for me. It's uh, the whole without saying any spoilers. It's a. It's like being on a roller coaster. That movie, mm, like it doesn't I, I stop. The, the, like it really doesn't stop. So my wife Tanya like, never wanted to watch it because that's kind of how people have described it. I think or. You just said anxiety. Yeah, you, you're gonna like. I bite my fingernails anyway. You bite your fingernails for the whole film. Like it just doesn't stop. Mm-hmm. Like, there. I think is it. Uh, I'm just trying to think. No, it's not Blake Schneider. Robert McKee, the screen writing uh, expert, talks about like you go from one scene to the next, and it's like positive negative. So you take. So the characters are like emotionally positive, and then they're by the end of the scene they're negative, and then the next scene they're negative, and they go positive, right? So each scene's like that. That's right. Blake Schneider goes, oh, that might be too complex to to actually craft that. But that film, it's kind of like you don't get to do that. It's just the whole way. Like you just don't stop. And it's one of those, I've seen a couple of films like that over time. But yeah, you did, that film, it's almost like you hold your breath for the 90 minutes. Like it's weird. Um, well, very the Ma- clever. The Martian does that a bit too. The Martian does that, but there is... The book, the book does the it more so because yeah. in, in the book there's a few more obstacles he has to get through. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. and in that the story was like, it would always be, oh, I've got a plan, I'm going to do this. Yes. And he starts off in that and it seems to be okay. Something little seemingly will happen initially and but it won't be a problem. Okay, I can handle that. Something big happens mm. and then that little thing after the big thing, suddenly turns out it actually is a bad thing. You yeah, know, like yeah. that, that little leak that he had earlier, which was he calculated, no, it's not going to be a problem. And then he smashes his spacesuit a bit, and then suddenly now the leak is, oops, no, yeah. now this is, <laughs> yeah. But, anyway. it, but it, 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 there's sort of wins in that film, isn't there, for him? Like, so you sort of take a breath and you kind of go with it a little bit, I think. Yeah. Um, but in gravity, yeah, you hold your breath. But we should do it. We should. That, that's one we can add to the we list. Had... It's not really a classic. It's just not. Well, I mentioned Benjamin Bratt. Um, he plays the kind of part, the feminine partner, Garcia. I mean, he's one of these guys that's like in so many films, isn't he? Never probably the lead so much, no. but but so many big Hollywood films where he's just always that B one. And then of course Dennis Leary is in this, the great I was comedian. Say Dennis Leary, but yeah. it's like I didn't know this. Until this viewing, I don't know if you had the same experience because I've not seen Demolition Man probably for twenty years. But it, I like you listen to what Dennis Leary says in this film, and it's like from the song "Asshole," isn't it? Yeah, it's it like, is. It, and I thought 
Did they just hire him and say, we just want you to be doing your song, but well, like, that's you're just going to do it? That's yeah, his stand-up that routine, is, his stand-up. Is, so, is to this whole, like, you know, I want to be smoking fat cigar, sitting on John F. Kennedy's grave. Because he does that in stand-up, right? I watched yeah. him once, and he smokes and he drinks in the stand-up. Yeah. Like, not the, just doing the asshole song, but actually... He's, he, he stands there with a cigarette and a whiskey. Like, and he's like, yeah, you know, Americans. But it really felt like when he had his, you know, he's in the film a little bit, but actually when he had his dialogue, it was like it was from the song Arsehole. Yeah, <laughs> it was like literally I think he quoted it I'm, a couple I'm of times. I'm pretty sure that someone I'm basically sure. went, yeah, they, they were looking for the rebel leader who is just interested in freedom, personal freedom. Mm. And they went, well, Dennis Leary was kind of popular at the time. You know, he... he and, I mean, he's a, a director, writer, yeah, actor. Yeah, he's in his done own, his own right? stuff. He's done a whole bunch yeah. of stuff. And, and comedian, obviously. I think that he managed to get in there. He was, he was a bit popular at the time. And then went, like, bring him in. Let's just do it. So let's get into that narrative. Sorry. So we do, we've mentioned Dude. that at the start, it's Los Angeles, 1996. And I found that a redundant thing saying, like, because you come flying in the very opening scene, <laughs> you're flying in over the Hollywood Hills with a yeah. Hollywood sign on fire. On fire, yeah. Which and is then great. it says Los Angeles. You go, Really? There yeah. wasn't Hollywood in, yeah. you know, New York? <laughs> but anyway, they wanted to, they spell it out. Sorry, yeah. they spell it out. Um, but we have this epic opening shot, don't we? We come in on the Hollywood sign on oh, fire, it which it has like been a... burnt out in reality, hasn't it? Back in the 70s or something? Oh, it it, it got like burnt a... down once and it got burned. Out. But it was so cool. Like we coming in helicopter shot over the top of that. And then there's like all this destruction. And to me... It did connect to the LA riots. So I don't know how close this film came out after it or before it, but it felt yeah. like there was the images of LA riots in this film. But I'm not sure about that, and I could be wrong. So correct me. I think it was definitely flavoured by that. Yeah, um, like it was a bad, and because we had this kind of construction and we had destruction. At the, and at the time, destroyed. there were a number of movies that showed this same thing. Uh, yeah, Predator, like cities being Predator destroyed. Predator 2 was set in a Los Angeles that was, with massive like, yeah. gang fights accelerated and yeah. advanced like, yeah, to yeah. the point where they're using machine guns and they've got fortified emplacement. And crazy yeah, stuff. and look, recently I heard Drew Carey talk about. He he spent a lot of his career, you know, LA before he became big, uh, similar to what you actually saying with Rocky, like he didn't have any money, you know, he was living off the. He said he he had a great story that you could go to the casino and um, he didn't bet money, didn't, didn't bet his money, but it was all you could eat buffet for a dollar fifty. So on the weekend, so that's like, how he got big. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but no, there's just like, he'd be like, Friday I'd have like $10 and I had to pay the rent on Monday, which I don't have the money for. So I'd be, every Monday I'd be saying to the landlord, you've got to advance me, you know, give me a week, you know, get advancement on his really shitty job pay. Uh, this is before he got into television and because uh, he came to comedy late, like in his 30s. And um, so at this point in his late 20s, he's sort of really unsure what he's doing. But he's like, I'd have $10 on a Friday night to make it till payday on Monday, which I was asking for a check in advance so I could pay my rent. And uh, the best thing I could do was go to the casino and get the lunch for $1.50, which was all you could eat. And I would just stuff myself and then walk away. And that would be my meal for the whole day. Mm. Um, and he's like, for $1.50. And he'd be like, Friday night, I'm working out my mind. $1.50 on Saturday, $1.50 on Sunday. That's $3. I've got $7 <laughs> I've got to buy milk, I've got to buy, you know, like, like it'd just be exact, I've got to put $2 in the car with the petrol, you know, like just, just exactly working out how to spend that $10. Um, but he, sp- the reason why I say that, he spoke about um, around the LA riots and before and afterwards, like driving in, like as a white man, getting to the lights and just being going, 
am I like going to get dragged out of my car right now? Like he's like, there's violence on the street, like everywhere you look. So it does, did make me think about when I watched this again the other day, that's kind of like, yeah, were the writers and that thinking of that when they wrote this film or when they kind of, or when it did get go into production and film, they're like, yeah, an ally that's just ripped and apart. It's still a very relevant movie now. We've yeah, got yeah. more recently the Black Lives Matter right, yeah. movement, yeah. which is you know, thrown up a whole lot of, you know, I suppose, societal chaos and, and people trying to figure out how things are supposed to be. And mm. you've got people going super aggressive on it, super passive on it. Um, and at the same time, you've, you've got this um, push. There's a, there's a strong push towards, uh, like, no physical contact because of COVID, but also no physical contact for... Um, for not invading people's space without right. permission. Yep. Um, veganism has, has never been larger. Mm. Uh, yeah, there's this, like... It's well, we've almost, got a lot of these contrasts, don't It's we? almost like you, we're moving... Conflict. In 12 years, we'll be at the year that they're in, and, and you could almost imagine now, 12 years, like, imagine if COVID goes on for a bit longer. Yeah, people are going to stop high-fiving and handshaking. Maybe yeah. there will be these weird sort of... <laughs> yeah. wave high-fives. Waving yeah. near each other and, uh, you know, and... and yeah, meat will be banned, you know, yeah. I, I don't know. So, you know, the film is like this extremity of violence, but you're right, maybe maybe society does just go down that because of other things like a pandemic, you know. Anyway, so we go from that to um, we're inside the LAPD helicopter. I love that in these big action films, the, the police have helicopters, they have machine guns, they have everything. Maybe they do in the States. Well, but they do, they've got tanks. <laughs> they've got tanks. They've got APCs um, and all sorts. And uh, in here we have these the, the helicopter pilots... Uh, are kind of discussing like how it's all destroyed, and they're, they. I think one of them says, "I didn't quite get it, but it was like I don't know why we bother with this city. Like I don't know why oh, we bother." It. Do you remember like, when they used to fly passenger aircraft yeah, through here? Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's kind of like, like oh, it's so just it's so destroyed and violent that like what are we even doing? You know? And this is where <laughs> Stallone like emerges oh, out of the back this, of the. This is one of those hero like, scenes. This is yeah. yeah like, what are, what are we even doing here? You said. To do a good deed. <laughs> That's, oh, sorry, I can't do Celine, sorry. I know. And then, like, they kind of... He does talk to them a little bit about that and reflect on what's going on. Um, and then he says this great line of, send a maniac to catch one, Phoenix. And he's like, yells Phoenix as he, like, jumps out of the helicopter on a, on a towards this court, massive, yeah. like, you know, building that's surrounded by police. Obviously, none of the police have gone in. It's going to be up to Stallone... Um, he bungees off and he disconnects. He goes, yeah, he starts killing people. Shoots a whole bunch of guys yeah, and he's killing maybe these... one dude or two dudes and disconnects himself and then charges on into this. Yeah. this factory. We get a, a nice little cutaway and movies like to do this and yes. I, I really do like this style. Where you've got the the gun shooting and the flashing lights and then it's sort of all quiet. Yeah, and we don't see Phoenix. We just see like his hand and mm. I suppose his right butt cheek. <laughs> As he walks past these barrels and stabs Start a knife, stabbing, he picks yeah. up that, that knife with a big skull. Yes, yeah. I'm surprised we didn't see that come back. Yeah, it's like, true. I would have been great in the museum of yeah. guns and stuff if you found, like, he's like oh, he's my got, knife. Oh. Yeah. But it didn't make a comeback. No. So he stabs it into the, the petrol barrels. And starts and pouring on. gasoline everywhere. Nice little quiet bit. And then we cut back to Stallone just ripping his way through a whole gang's worth of. Yeah, all these henchmen. It's the classic, like, take out all the henchmen, isn't it? It's yeah. Like, all the bad guys just get blown apart. Um, and so then Spartan or John confronts Phoenix 
Um, and they have that good old classic, you know, it's, it's, it's a, um, a homage to the Western that they're kind of like, they have that standoff, the eyes, they sum, it, they sum up each other, you know, don't they? Like, you know, it's like they, they realise that um, they are the powerful ones, you know? Yeah, I, I think the, the difference here is often you know, the henchmen have, no, have only the motivation of get, get him. Yes. And so there's no calculation has to be done. Yeah. It's just henchmen, bad, okay, that's it. We just dispatch with one another and the good guy will dispatch mm. with the henchman. Meet the big bad guy and it's like, okay, what is his move? Because he's not just charging me. What is he set up? What's, what's the deal here? And like you said, Phoenix, we've seen Phoenix in the previous scene just sort of stab these gasoline barrels and he's standing in it and he lights a cigarette. And um, John kind of is, you know, standing there. They're yelling about the hostages. Where are the hostages? And Phoenix is saying, oh, I don't care about that. I never cared about the hostages. They're not here. Who cares? Um, and with that, he like, f- you know, flicks his cigarette down. So it lights up. And um, Although Mythbusters did show that it doesn't happen. No, it's a movie. Yeah, I know. Mythbusters. <laughs> Um, don't believe that. That's 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 a conspiracy. Sorry, that is a conspiracy. False that show. News. It's false. Fake news. I'm following. I'm following the conspiracy theorists. The Russian COVID. trolls. Yes, you know, I, I believe in Hollywood films, right? Um, this was my childhood. This kind of movie. It everyone, taught me a lot. Everyone knows that in a movie, you flick a cigarette down, it lights up. It lights up. up. It yeah. lights up. But the thing was, also, what's good about that is it shows that Phoenix Wesley Snipes is. He's a maniac, oh, isn't he's he? Crazy. Like, like he's lighting up all this petrol, which we've been told in movies previously. Sorry, not MythBusters at this point in time in my life. No, this that, is yeah, ninety three. They yeah, didn't they didn't exist in this point in time. If someone like Wesley Snipes throws a cigarette in petrol, it's going to just blow, right? Yeah. So he's a crazy, and he's like laughing about it. And Stallone, ugh, that's not that's not enough to stop Stallone. No, is it? he, he just, just runs through the flames, Phoenix, Phoenix. <laughs> he loves saying that in this movie, which I quite like. That's well, a great um, name, isn't it? It is. Phoenix it's a really good rises name. from the rises fire. from the flames. Yeah. Symbolism. And then he says, uh, "What was he saying? Ooh, is it is it cold in here? Or is it just me? You know." <laughs> yeah. And then the fire goes up. Um, Important because that comes back as to haunt him. They do this whole scene. Actually, it's a good example of. This, the scene is the same at the start yeah. at the end, you know? Yeah. So we'll come back to that without... We've already given you the spoiler warning. But um, he said so they tackle, they fight, they have a good old-fashioned fisticuffs, which is what you want from Stallone. Of course, you know, we know, as you were just talking about Rocky, we know he throws a punch. Uh, Phoenix throws a few punches. He throws a few punches. I think Phoenix is thrown over a desk uh, and knocked out. And this is a good moment. Save the cat, sorry, because what does he do? He doesn't leave him there. He picks him up yeah, picks on him the up. shoulders, runs out of the building on fire, and just as he gets, which is classic, you know, 80s, 90s action, boom, uh, as he's like exiting. Except right? better than that, the whole building. The whole building. Goes up and collapses. <laughs> collapses. And, and they, you know, they got a, it was an actual demolition site at yeah. the time. And, and it's it's not done enough in films. They try no. to, I think Hollywood directors, whenever they hear there's a big building being demolished, I think they all just try and can, can we film? I think they yeah. should just film it. Like they should, even yeah. if they don't have a movie for it yeah. yet. Just like just get Stallone running out of put it. Put in some like you know pyrotechnics to come yeah. flying out of it. Just just get it done up so you've got the, the footage. But don't you love that? That was such a thing of like eighties uh, and nineties. Like they each action film. With Stallone and Sylvester, and then other people like Jean Claude Van Damme and Schwarzenegger. Um, uh, Schwarzenegger. Sorry, like they. <laughs> what did I say? Stallone and Sylvester, yeah. uh, the same guy. 
um, how like in those action movies they kind of kept and Bruce Willis would be the next one. It's yeah. like they kind of kept up up in the ante. So it's like in one film he jumps out of a helicopter that blows up. Okay, in this next film he's walking out of a factory that just totally blows up. Oh yeah, well in this next one he's walking out of a building that's actually collapsing. You know, like, how are you going to do that? We know a guy that's demolishing a building. We're going to have him there. He'll walk out. Bam. You know, it's like, and then like in the next time they're like, we can't actually top that anymore. What can we do? (laughs) And then someone's like, dinosaurs. (laughs) Bloody Spielberg. Um, Spielberg. (laughs) Spielberg, That's right. So he explains. And the thing here is that we're uh, told, um, there's a great moment here that, uh, you know, they're like, what about the hostages? The chief says. Oh, he and hostages. he's like, no, there's no hostages. Phoenix lied about them. And Phoenix's like, no, he told me that he didn't care. <laughs> it was like an older brother dobbing on a younger brother. I thought about my two boys. Like, it's like, no, he told me he didn't like the Lego. <laughs> you know, it's like, um, and they sort of have that moment. And then, and then which I, I distinctly remember this when I saw this film as a kid, yeah. that it shocked me to the core, Surrey, that then when that fireman says, there's chief, there's bodies everywhere. And it's like, no, but Stallone's a good guy. Like, it really... Like, well, I remember... Because we he don't said, see that in other films. Well, he said he, he did a thermo check. He did a thermo check and there was and, no body. Because if they were already dead, yeah. they would be cold. But we yeah. don't know that. No. We're just going like, I oh, know, I, I did a thermo check. There was only the eight. And you're like, I, I remember also when he comes out, there, there's a bus there and you think, oh, he must Because they always save them, right? They like always the, save the them. Bad, so. The bad guy, Snipes, must have, you know, set... That's what the explosion was all about, mm. was to... Kill him, yeah. To mean then that if you're taking me out, I'm taking you're you taking out. Everything yeah. out too. Of course, like you get that now, but I remember at the time because I was probably that twelve or thirteen when, when I saw this at the movies, and just that was a shock point to me. And I think that was the thing. Like you were so used to Stallone and Bruce Willis and Schwarzenegger and whoever Chuck Norris saving the day. You know, the people not dying. You know, you they would find them at the back. Oh, they had them at the back. It's like no, they're all dead. It's like oh god, like this is a bit bleak. This but movie. it's it's good because it it does uh, set up the reason for it him does. going into yeah. this prison cryo station. Yeah, yeah. So he goes. They've got the prison there. So he, he gets a. Um, it's a very quick Montage, judgment. It, yeah. it doesn't really go through the court trial. No. Just then it has him in that sort of weird plasticky. Mm. Which is good because... Sex suit. <laughs> I assume it's something yeah, yeah. a sex suit. Well, he strips off naked, doesn't he? And, uh, and the assistant warden, which is a nice touch, is like, he's telling him all the sentencing that he's been... Yeah, to, like, for killing, for, you know, being part of the murder of these hostages, it's going to be 13 years, and then part of the, you know, uh, murder of this other hostage. And he kept saying, skip it, skip it, skip it, skip it. Like so it's a great game. montage because... Like, he's kind of pissed off and he's shitty because he tried to save the day and yet, you know, it didn't work out. And he's been, you know, stripped off. And we're getting a lot of the science part told to us really quickly. Because we don't yeah. want the science. Sorry, it's, we it's just want to get to the bit. It's going to be frozen. Yeah. But I paused it here. And this, this to me, for anyone that to wants see, to be... To see his nut bag. No. Well, he's... No, because you well, almost, I did that as well. I did you that. almost can. <laughs> you can you can see his ass, can't you? You see his ass, you see his legs, you see a fair bit, right? So for um, anyone interested in sort of wet, glistening muscles and muscles nut bags, of, nut bags you, of the nineties. You, you might almost get to and yeah. I gotta say he was freeze frame it. He was just about fifty when he did this film. Yeah. Getting on there, he's, he's a little bit older than I am Still now. Still looks pretty bloody good. And he was Buff as he was buff, but I, what I was going to say is not pause it. Not I was skipping that bit actually. So no, um, 
what I mean is I paused it because I, as a script writer, this is an amazing beat because it's like seven and a half minutes. So all of that stuff we have just rattled off, the hostages, the flaming Hollywood signs, the explosion, the saving the day, the fight had all happened in seven and a took half minutes. took us 30 minutes to get to it. But I know. Yes, we just half. spoke about so it for really, 30 minutes. Really, that's great. That's, uh, but know? that is something I noticed also with, uh, what was the previous one, Total Recall? Yeah. Is it's just... They just bam, this bam was, it out. This is just the early 90s. Man, they just like, they don't make the, they don't use this style of cutting and no. action. You know, well, to this me, it's is just, just story writing. Like they just get to it. You know, they this get is to so, that moment. So, I, bang in your face. You know, like it just happens, and it's all wham. Yeah, I annoy my wife because quite often I'm like, Ugh. she's like, when we're watching a movie, because then she's like, what's wrong? I'm like, it feels like we've been watching this for quite some time now, and she's like, and I like go pause and I'm like, it's. 14 minutes, and I still don't really get what the fuck's going on. Yeah, there's no no real. And she's like, oh, the promise of the premise. And I'm like, I'm like, damn it, this is the thing. Watch Demolition Man at seven seven minutes. You know everything, don't you? You pretty much know everything that's expected. So we should keep moving anyway. Yes. Because this will go on for seven hours. So then we jump, and it's 2032. um, And we get a Huxley. On the phone in her little self-driving vehicle, uh, and, talking and to the water. And we're seeing there's a beautiful like as it goes. A beautiful futuristic. It's San San Angeles. That's it, San Angeles. San Angeles, and it's beautiful, almost Star Trek style. You know, there's greenery and just this nice sort of white crystalline buildings jutting up here and there, but certainly uh, a, a big contrast to. Yeah, and it's nice because she's talking to the warden, who's the same guy that was the assistant warden that put uh, Sylvester Sloan in the cryo station. But now he's an old man and he is the warden. Um, and she says, an, there's a nice line there that I wrote down because she's checking on the ice cubes. <laughs> and uh, he says, says, oh, she says, don't you think we should you know, keep a check on it all? And um, he says, no, uh, but you're young and you can think about things, you know, which yeah. was, I just kind of liked that. I liked that premise. Like, so in this future, it's like, Oh, we don't really think things through. We just yeah. kind of do our. We just it's, do what it's we're all so safe and automated, and ordered, yeah. you know. And she drives through this uh, sophisticated city. She's a police officer, um, and she then takes over the self-driving. Which you get the impression pretty quickly. I think that no one really does that. So it's given us a little character trait about Huxley. Um, and she asks if there's a police present is needed to the AI, the computer system. None. None. So there's nothing going on. Um, and we see then the, I think it's the police building, um, this weird little electronic machine pops out of the manicured grass, graffiti sprays over the top of the sign. Um, is it life is hell? Life is hell. But then automatically the sign kind of like juts out these metal things and just cleans it off. Yeah, a little zap, zap, zap. It's Zaps it off. And then, and then the, the graffiti box self-destructs. Yeah, it does. Like she gets into the uh, offices and greets all the people, which is quite fun because they, yeah. they do this sort of weird high and five without touching. without touching. And they're using sort of almost language that you hear from 1984, you know, I hope you have a joy, joy day. And, yeah. you know, they're using all these sort of um, non-judgmental, neutral terms for everything, which, which, as I said, is quite relevant for today. You go on a Twitter and if you say anything that sounds a little bit kind of, harsh or 1990s style yeah you can expect to get written over the top of by <laughs> a thousand people thousand telling people. you how that you are uh, you know being aggressive or you're being uncaring to there was a, an article saying that 
uh, and this is about podcasts, podcasts that refused to, it was Gimlet Media is being sued by the American Disabled Society. All right. Deaf Society saying that they're not providing um, transcripts of their mm. podcasts. Right. Like, and so they're going to be sued for that mm. because deaf people want to hear podcasts too. And I've, I've got nothing wrong with that. But it, it's the same sort of thing where it's like, to me, it feels, okay, podcasts are inherently audio. Yes, it's really cool to provide transcripts for any number of reasons. Mm. But to say that someone is financially obligated for a yeah. free artistic production, mm. then they, like, it's just that sort of yeah, weird... It and becomes it, so politically it is correct, a, doesn't it? It is a test case. It's, yeah. you know, like... Particularly in America, they like to have these test cases yeah. where someone will just try it on and say, "How how does this law work out? You know, yeah. how's this? How do we classify things?" But mm. it has that feeling of in this future, that's all gone through. And now, yeah. if, if you're <laughs> going to do a podcast, you had better do that. If you're going to do a video them. show, you better have verbal description of it. Yeah, which sounds really cool. Have you heard the X Files? I have heard so the verbal I, description. Oh, yeah, the yeah. verbal description. That's it's like. How cool would that be to, to not watch the show and just listen to the verbal description? Yeah. It'd be like an audio drama. It would be. Listen to the, the show with the audio... Anyway, I'm getting off track here, but it you is are. this world where she greets everyone using the sort of language and sort of non-contact and yeah. she comes in and says, you know, any any action, anything going on? And I think the, the chief says, oh, there was a, an unauthorized... I can't remember the terms he uses, but basically spray painting. Yes. And she's oh, really? Do you need police, police presence required? Yeah. Oh, no, no, no. It's, it's self-cleaned. The yeah. self-cleaning will clean itself. It's fine. That's right. Oh, you know, like, oh, then she's really disappointed. And we do in that have a, a periscope come out of that lawn and it is Dennis Leary's character. And it's, it's just an introduction. Like he's looking through it and he's got a lot of shabby people around him. Um, Huxley enters her office and it's full of 90s stuff, including lethal weapons. Lethal weapon. Red hot chili peppers. Uh, red hot chili peppers. Um, and Garcia, who's, uh, as I mentioned earlier, the sort of side police officer, he actually asks her why she's into all this. And, he, and she replies that, don't you just want some action? Um, and it's a great cut because she says that and it goes straight to yeah, want something Phoenix to coming out of... Except Garcia public. does say... No, no, and then no. it cuts. That's right. So it's, I have it, to agree with Garcia here. Yeah. You don't really want the but action. It's, it's a great sort of premise, isn't it? Because here you have a character that's like into the nineties action theoretically, and like, don't you just want something to happen? And it's just a great cut to Phoenix being Phoenix like for parole. Stephen Frosted. He's up for a parole. Seems bizarre that they would defrost them just to say you're going back in the eyes. But that's what this scene is about. And um, the warden confronts Phoenix. Uh, and suddenly he speaks Spanish back to him. And yeah. you can see he's a bit confused by it because it's kind of almost like he's practicing Spanish. Um, and the warden is going to send him back in. Like, there's no doubt he's been a violent murderer. Um, and he says the word teddy bear. And all the locks come undone uh, to what he was, to the chair he was, he was sitting in. Um, and he just brutally kills the two guards. Um, and he rips the... War, eye out of the water, which is great 90s sci-fi, isn't it? It's oh, like, well, we're going to have everything done with eye detection. This is done in a couple of movies. I'm not sure if this movie is the first movie that does it, 
but I've seen this scene a couple of times. You don't ever see them ripping it out. This scene does it really good. Like he says, let's just, uh, I think Phoenix says to him, let's just do this the easy way. And he kind of like leans towards his eye. Yeah, and holds, then, holds and then the, the next thing you know, it's like, I think it zooms into his eye and then he's holding the eye on a pen, you know, um, and it allows him to exit the jail. Um, and then what is really great from this, which I loved even as a kid and I loved it this time, is we cut back to the police station because suddenly the computer system is bringing up this warning of 187. Code 187. Code 187. It's like like got that repetitive like beeping noise going on. This was on. a retired code. Yes, a retired the la- code. The last time this was seen was 11 years ago. Yeah. So 2021. And none of the... And it's just... It's great as an audience because you're kind of like, you know what's happened. But um, this is really confusing for the police and everything. Well, and it's Huxley... one of those situations where the audience is sort of in on it. Yeah. And like watching the characters knowing... Knowing it's like, what's it's like about when to happen. you're watching those, um, uh, you know, candid camera shows where yes. there's like a gag has been set up and the audience yeah. knows what the gag's going to be. It's just a matter of watching to see right. how the, the participants <laughs> react. And so here we are going, ooh, how are these, you know, sort of rather um, pampered and soft police officers going to react to a... What is 187. this, 187? <laughs> and it, yeah, the, they look it up and it comes back as, you know, get to little one, two, eight, seven, murder, murder death, death, kill. Murder, death. <laughs> I don't know. I haven't bothered to look up if that's a real thing or not, yeah. murder, death, kill, but it was, it was very good. There's murder, death, kill, murder, death, kill, three murder, death, kill. Yeah. And then they, they zoom in on the, uh, to where it's happened at the police state, at the cryo and prison. And petrol station. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, yeah, the, the ice cube factory and <laughs> there's you know, the other the two guards and then there's the warden crawling there and there's a oh, quick send help immediately yeah. and then it flatlines yeah. and says they're all shocked another code yeah, 187, 187 yeah. 3187 so we yeah. get we're very clearly told 187 is murder death kill but uh, it, there's a nice moment there with all the police and huxley and huxley especially because uh, that's what I mean, that previous scene of her saying, don't you just want some action? Well, here is some brutal action, and suddenly she's a bit shocked by it. So they're all shocked, but even she is taken back by the, the sheer violence of it. Then they get their next murder-death killer in the car park. Yeah. But luckily, I think Huxley recovers sooner, and she starts throwing commands at yeah. the computer, saying, you know, where's the car? Where's of the, the car? Of the it's warden, missing. it's missing. Okay, track it, locate track it. it. And then it... The computer lo- tracks it. Located it, and everyone in the room goes, oh, yeah. God, yeah, okay, okay, send, uh, what was it, protect and serve. Yes, <laughs> and they're all sort of happy. And with that... And they, think, and they think, yeah, well, that's it now. Yeah, that's we've, it, we're done. It. Chief, I'm sure Chief says, oh, well done, everyone, good work, you know. Yeah. Um, and in that, they look up, well, well, who was being cryogenically released or parole kind of thing? Um, and there's the older police officer, like there's a list of names, and the older police officer says, ah, Simon Phoenix. Mm-hmm. It's Simon Phoenix. He knows him. Um, so we kind of, you know, there's a connection straight away. Did that, that old guy actor, how many movies he's been oh, in? He's been eight. He was, he was in Driver as the grandfather, you yeah. know, the, the older the, person. Just the old got, man, yeah. The old man yeah. that was looked after yeah. by a baby. Yeah. He but he, I, I swear he's been in a lot of films. That oh, yeah. same sort of character. Yes. He that always plays of, the old, old he's black the, man. <laughs> he's the, the, what do they call it in the, um, in the tropes is the... Black Mystic? Yes, the Black Mystic. Yeah, yeah. The, yeah like it's, it's sort of one of these um, racial stereotypes. Is that it you're is. going to have a, a the wise person is going to be like some old black man or old black woman for some reason. It is. So anyway, so they've tracked it and so now we see Phoenix. 
he's getting out of this car that he'd stolen. Uh, it's in downtown. And it's he's, you know part he's of this wearing overall. He's wearing this bright orange thing. Yeah. Like it's a very. Uh, it was almost an eighties throwback. It was. And this is ninety three that the film was uh, made in, and he was from ninety six. But still, that that bright orange and the overalls was mm. that. Was that like New Kids on the Block? I and think it that was. Lot was yeah. kind of. It was dating back a bit, but they tended to have that. They went for on. it. I don't know. You know, it's bizarre, isn't it? But, but I guess it, it matched him because he was a crazy. Yeah, man. he's crazy, and he gets out of the car and he goes up to this, um, which is quite funny because obviously society didn't go down this path. We all walk around with little phone computers, yeah, but he basically goes up to this computer phone. phone it's like a good old phone booth, but it's a computer now, which makes a lot of sense when you future think without yeah, thinking it, about it. Um, and uh, he basically like Googles, like he really does. He he sort of search engines, um, in, and he notices that he can type really fast. Like he can type and yeah, he's he, looking he at things. Knows all this he stuff. sort of seems to know all this stuff. And he, he does. I can't remember what the comment is, but he even comments on himself. Like he's like, oh well, I don't know what this stuff is, but this is really good. Um, and he actually who he Googles is someone called Fred Egner, which then we see a picture of Fred Egner, and it's Dennis Leary. Fred Egner. Egner. Yeah. I thought it was uh, Friendly. Was it? Ed, ah. Ed Friendly. Friendly. Uh, maybe I just wrote that down wrong. Because it is Egner. Um, Ian, what have yeah. we got? Is the name Ed Friendly? Egner Friendly. Yes, yeah, sorry. You are right. Oh, so I'm written goodness. down Fred. Sorry, yeah, Egner Friendly. And then right. he gets a voice in his head that says, he does. don't you have a job to do? Kill him. Kill him, yeah. And he's kind of confused by it. And this is when the police roll up. And this is, it's quite a funny scene, this scene, it, it I is. think, because it's it shows the, like, how much society has changed from that super violent society. And so we have, like, you know, I think it's four cops or six. was it six? There's six, six yeah. on the So six of them roll up, you know, and... <laughs> The the main one gets out and he's got this, you know, like a little tablet thing, yeah. you know, like a little tablet thing. And he refers to it, oh, you know, approach... Uh, the maniac. The maniac. <laughs> I love the way they just, they just use the term maniac. <laughs> just, this movie is just all about maniac. And this computer, like, sets him through it, like, ask the maniac to lie on the ground and surrender and all that. With, with a forceful voice. Yeah, with a forceful voice. To learn his, and, his hands behind his back. Yeah, and, he, and then he doesn't do it. And he doesn't do it. He just kind of laughs it off. And so the cop asks the machine to do it. And I, I think the machine tells him, yeah, step, uh, say, do it or yeah, else. Step forward and say it again in a, loud, in a more affirmative <laughs> term, a firm tone. But it's the or else. that Because yeah. he says it and Phoenix is kind of laughing them off as, as you expect. But when he says or else, it's like the good old Marty McFly yeah. connection, isn't it? Because it's kind of like, you're calling me chicken? Yeah. You're calling or, me chicken? Or else what exactly? Yeah, what is it? So then he just attacks the cops. And literally, these cops just go down left, right, and center. And they start, they run away from him. Like, he's, yeah. just, he's way too violent. They, they don't even really fight against no, him. No, they don't fight. They can't fight. They don't have guns. This is also what we're learning. They but don't actually have guns. What we do notice here is that old um, Phoenix is doing some cool-ass martial arts, arts, martial stuff, arts yeah. because when he was fighting John Spartan in the first thing, yeah. He was just getting owned by John. Like, he was, he was, yeah. he was sort of trying bits and bits. He was just fighting, punched but not, up. yeah. Whereas now he can Whereas this fight. one here, these guys, he's doing this you know, sidekick. And if you've ever seen Snipes in his you know, action yeah, roles, yeah. you know he's a martial artist. That's uh, right. Or at least he can act martial arts very Is well. <laughs> I, I don't know if he really does martial arts or not. You could assume he must have studied somewhat, but uh, I know there are pure martial arts out there who would go, no, no, these guys can't do it at all. I'm not going to argue with you. 
And he, he looked really good he doing did. it. He suddenly looks really slick and everything. And he takes them all out, smashes one of the cars. And all the other cops like Huxley are watching this just baffled, aren't they? Um, and there's another murder-death kill, I think, in there. Um, the, the cop that goes up against the wall and he turns on the anti-graffiti yeah, yeah. thing. Um, and they're watching this through this CCT. And he like then he blows up even a cop car. <laughs> and, just... and that's the thing. Like everyone, All the police are like, Horrified because I think one of the Garcia even asked, "Why would he do that?" Yeah, he does. <laughs> why? Why? Why do you do that? You know. And then anyway, he runs off, um, and we cut to um, the Doctor Raymond Coteau, uh, who's the leader, and he's talking to these other chairs that are rotating in this ballroom. With faces on. basically through Zoom as well. Yeah, it's, <laughs> through, it's, through it's, a version it's of Zoom. It's funny this future vision because this is in '93. Uh, I remember seeing that sort of system, like with a little telepresence thing. I was, on chairs. Yeah, back in, like there was one of these, you know, Beyond 2000 type yeah. shows where they're talking about what's going to be in the future. But the the funny thing, of course, is we don't, like, I don't know why anyone would think that would be the future. Yeah. Because that's not how we work. We've never developed technology in that, in that way. We've taken no. what we already have and make it better. So what we really do, I've, I've been doing teleconferencing since... Uh, you know, for work for years. Yeah. And we just have a TV on the wall mm. and a camera above the TV and it just captures a picture of the whole room. Yeah. And so they're sitting in another room looking at our TV and we're looking at our TV. Like, yeah. this whole idea of spending all this money on these expensive little rotating head things, <laughs> which, <laughs> yeah. which uh, I don't know, it seems a bit awkward, but it, it, is, it is good. They, they foresaw that that's what you're going to do. You're not going to have real people on the chairs. Yeah. That's... Um, so, oh. so we and he's talking about this taking out the terrorists, and and he's talking about Egna, Egna friendly, and so with these other kind of boardroom people that, oh, you know, he's going to take care of it, like, you know, whatever. So we get the impression that this guy has some controlling power over the city, and you know, he's he's something. So it's the introduction to him. Um, we then cut back to the Huxley and that in the police station, and they say. Huxley's asking, well, how was Phoenix taken down? You know, how is this violent man really taken down? And this, to me, was freaking hilarious. I don't even know mm. if I thought this was hilarious as a kid, but this was so funny. And the answer is John Spartan. And they, <laughs> they look at video footage oh, well, of John well, Spartan. Also, like, they said John Spartan, 1,000 confirmed arrests in yeah, three years. Yeah. So you do the math on it's I like know, three it's like a day. Three a day, yeah. Which so. would have meant that he must have, I reckon he, he must have just caught carloads of car people at a time. People, yeah. Which is what we, at the start, I mean, look how many people he kills, all the henchmen. So yeah. Are they mate, arrests? So it's not three a day. It's that, and one day he like takes out 80 of them. Yeah. <laughs> but this is just the funniest bit of video footage to me. It's like, he's walking away from a burning building with this little, <laughs> carrying this little girl and a journal says to him, how can you justify taking down a $7 million complex for a girl with a $25,000 ransom? And he looks around shocked at the journalist, but the girl says, fuck you, lady. <laughs> That's crazy. <laughs> like, which is what he was thinking, but it was just so cool that they put they said that to the girl, you know? So uh, it showed that he is the hero, you know? Like, it doesn't matter about destruction, you know? They, and he's the demolition man. This and is they did nickname. this. This is a similar thing from... So it's so, that is dirty, 90s as well. Dirty it? Harry. We'll yeah. go back to the 70s when... Uh, Dirty Harry's being chewed out by his, the police commissioner and said, you know, how uh, you shot that guy, you know, yeah. the other day dead, you know, while you're on the things. And and in your report, you said, yeah, you thought he was going to um, rape or, or rape the woman. Yeah, how would you know it was going through his mind? 
Dead hair just looks at him and sneers and says, you know, well, when he was naked carrying a knife and an erection, I just guessed. <laughs> yeah, something along those lines. Yeah, right? yeah. It's the same sort of deal here. Same sort of line, yeah. It, it makes you feel, it's a save the cat moment where you yeah. sort of go, yeah, fuck you, lady. Yeah, like, you, how lady, do yeah. you put that sort of dollar value of a person on, yeah. over top of blowing up some buildings? I mean, mm. you rebuild the building. That's right. But yeah, so we get that little, we're on his side now. We can't help it. So they have this debate, and there's a good line as well where they say, well, Phoenix, I think the old man says that. He says, Phoenix is an old-fashioned criminal. We need an old-fashioned cop, you know. Um, so they defrost Spartan. They, they bring him back. Um, Huxley informs him pretty quickly that his wife Died. did pass away. And actually then... In the earthquake. In the earthquake. Uh, and Chief is really aggro suddenly at Spartan. He says, look, we didn't bring you back to go back down memory lane. You know, we brought you back to um, to take out Phoenix and we're going to reinstate you. But if you don't behave, you're going straight back to the frozen status. So it's a good sort of setup, isn't it? That our character has he's been granted freedom as long as he's going after Phoenix. It, it, it does, you know, uh, tie off that whole looking for family and old connections, yeah. which would be the natural first step. Well, that's what you think, wouldn't you? Yeah. But you hear those that go, well... Let's, yeah. The movie's not about that. No, it's that not. would be a good movie in its own right, yeah. wouldn't it? And you've sort of got those movies with those... Um, what's that one where Mel Gibson wakes up from the cryo thing? Yeah, what is that one? And is it yeah. Forever Young or something? Forever Young, yeah. I think yeah, something. So, yeah. so you've got other movies that explore yeah. that. This is yeah. not exploring. Not this that. is exploring a, a crazy-ass maniac cop with a crazy-ass maniac. Maniac to cinematic, yeah. Anyway, and then very quickly, you know, he's kind of introduced to the world and the city and then... He goes to the toilet and he comes out and he's like, um, you're out of toilet paper. There's three three seashells in there. And they all kind of laugh and stuff about that. Uh, and he's like, oh. and it's the same as us. And I remember as a kid going, three seashells. What the, you know, like it's My such My wife had never seen this movie. Yeah. And yet by the second or third mention of the three seashells, she's like, I really want to know what this three yeah. seashells it, is. It was something that I remember as a kid really going, yeah, well, how does it work? Um, and then, so what he does is, because he swears, and of course, there is this swear machine that when you swear, it spits out parking tickets, you know, fines tickets. And um, he, so he just goes up to it and like swears into it de- deliberately and then goes, so much for your seashells. <laughs> so he's just created toilet paper. Um, she, Huxley tells him about also the hand sensor that he's got a microchip. They've all got microchips in their hand to know where they are. So good old GPS. That's locator. how you buy stuff. That's, That's how you buy stuff. How you do everything. Up. Yeah, but Phoenix doesn't have one. Nope. Um, so he, they're trying to figure out what would Phoenix be up to. And uh, Spartan says, well, guns. You know, where do you get well, guns? I, I and, mean, first and... of all, they said, well, we've asked the computer. Yeah. The computer says he's going to set up a meth lab and then <laughs> get a gang. And Spartan says, well, you think he's going to set up... Be- been defrosting out to set up business. Yeah, yeah. Which I have to also agree would be like, no. No, no. But anyway, yeah, so he's... he's like going for a gun. Where do you get a gun in this city? And of course, it's a museum. And it's again, it's a, this film does this a few times. It cuts from that and he's walking into the museum. Like, so it's a nice, they keep telling you what's about to happen kind of thing. Um, and so he goes into the museum and he's wandering around and everyone's, you know, all polite and as they do. And he goes, it's lovely, isn't it? Like he walks down, it's like the uh, Hall of Violence, yeah. which is really cool. And, and walks of basically his history. And... Yeah, yeah. It's just of what we came from at the start of the film. And he walks over, which is a really nice little homage, like 
walks over this floor that's made of glass and you can see down it's like downtown 90s LA. An actual dig site. Because An actual dig as, site, As yeah. we learned in 2011 was the big the one. The big one, yeah. Which basically, as far as I can tell, was a massive uh, Earth, you know, earthquake. apocalyptic earthquake, yeah, yeah. which basically sucked LA and or the greater LA area in underground. Like just yeah. wiped gone, it out, yeah. Which is, I think was the catalyst for the, their change. Their new society, you know, This is yeah. where... Uh, Kudo came out and updated their society, and and I, I guess you sort of need something along those lines, like a like a, a big a cataclysmic uh, COVID yeah. incident, you know, for example, to get to affect change, you know, something to really shake things up. Yep. And she even mentions actually a few later on. She talks about s- several pandemics that happen mm. as well. So it's as a, it's quite a relevant movie even today. Like people watching this today would not be going oh, hilariously. <laughs> got it all wrong and it's all outdated because eerily enough it sort of mimics what has really come to happen in a number of ways sure does so yeah he walks down over the glass and in and, and quite quite humorously and i laughed a fair bit at this when he, he just we get the scene of some people looking in the museum and there's a guy there and he just brutally <laughs> slams his head against the, the glass and then he falls over I pissed myself laughing. And there's a couple of moments like when he does, he does this a couple of times in Phoenix in the movie. He does it. Everyone else is really nice. And they all just kind of like politely walk away really quickly. I'm getting out out of here. Because I don't know what the hell this guy is up to. He's a maniac. I've got to say, if I saw some dude with weirdo bleached hair and an orange top and overalls, he just... (coughs) Grinning to himself, slamming someone's head into a glass wall, I would probably just go, yeah, okay. That's to move on. That's not... That's not the sort of environment that i'm used to i you know if this were a computer game different story but in real life too much so huxley and that floor down there they're, they're heading down like with, ten, um, oh, they put on the oldies and they put on the oldie stations to make him feel more comfortable and the oldie station is ads from Ad the jingles. 90s oh my god you know, so they joke about armor hot dogs um phoenix starts uh, breaking into the gun closet but there's a great moment, like he does, he gets a gun and then he, he oh, that's right, he's trying to break in and this man comes, he's like, excuse me, sir, can I help you? And he's like, yeah, how much do you weigh? And he like just picks him up and throws him through. Um, and he gets all these awesome old guns. And then he has a moment of clarity where he goes, hang on, this is the future. Where's the like sci-fi guns? Where's the laser guns? Um, and he gets this magnetic accelerator gun, which and then he's trying to like follow the instructions on how it's to work. It's actually an HKG 11 4.7mm caseless round. I know you, you know, would know what it is. Experimental rifle from Germany. I, I thought it was being high tech by saying magnetic accelerator gun, yeah. but okay. But um, it was, they, they just used <laughs> the shape of the gun. They, yeah. It's, it's really he is right, but like where, where in the future would there be a better gun? But then again, I did think... It's only 12 years. It's only 12 years later. Yeah, it's not that much later. And then it's supposed to be more of a peaceful society. Well, the the thing is that in in, in reality, we're using the same gun technology that they used in World War I, by and large. We've made the machining more precise. Everything's a little bit cleaner and neater, a bit more efficient. But essentially, you go out and buy the most modern gun now, it is, you know, identical in all of its uh, main operating parts to something that was turn of the uh, 19th century. So Spartan confronts Phoenix and there's a good old-fashioned gun shootout, uh, which that allows Spartan to also get a gun. Um, and uh, they, it starts in the wall of violence and it goes into that 90s replicate scene, so they fall in there. 
Um, and this is where Spartan's also realising Phoenix does seem to be suddenly a much better fighter. Oh, yeah, like well, he's Spartan, overcoming him. Spartan's now getting bashed up, you know, because at the start, he overcame Phoenix quite easily. Like it was almost like funny how yeah. easy it was. Yeah. So, which maybe, you know, again, it's that old thing like the cop's the better fighter, but he's more of a maniac, so hard to predict, you know, what he's going to do. Whereas now he's a great fighter as well. And he's, he's a lot stronger. Stronger and, and all that. He seems to be smarter in the way he uses things. <clears throat> so they have this good old fight in the 90s scene, the water flows, you know, they knock over the hydrant, they smash a car. Uh, as I said, Phoenix gets a bit of the better. And then... Um, uh, I think Spartan's thrown onto the back of the car and Phoenix is... Because, again, none they enjoy this fight, don't they? These guys kind of always enjoy these fights yeah, it's, they, in these movies. They always have the pauses feeling. and they're like, that was good, wasn't it? They yeah. just make you choose <laughs> it's, it's sort of almost like they're sort of stretching themselves. Yeah, they're kind of like a little bit more. Just you know, after. It's like two brothers really going they're at just, it. They, they both just, got out of prison and yeah, they're just, oh, this oh, is much better. It feels good, you know, like... And I think Phoenix is almost like, oh, it's glad that... You know, he they brought you back. They give me some contest here. You know, they give me a bit of a challenge. Um, and then with that, uh, he actually electrocutes him with this cop baton that he has. Um, and uh, and and but then he fires back with that magnetic gun. Yeah, that the finally magic. charges, doesn't it? Go, yeah, two point six minutes to achieve fusion. <laughs> yeah. Which personally, worry me that this gun is going to achieve fusion. <laughs> oh. oh. The fusion charge will and be... It takes two and okay. a half minutes. <laughs> okay. um, uh, so, yeah, and then Phoenix fires it and actually escapes and, and gets away. Um, and in the when he's, he, Phoenix climbs out of the museum, he actually come overcomes to the doctor, Dr. Katal. Is it Katal? Or, yeah, I think so. Kuto. Or Kuto. They all said it a little bit differently, I felt. But anyway, so... Call him, I call him Kuto. Kuto. Um, so he kind of comes out and he, Phoenix goes to shoot him, just execute him, and he can't. And then he says to him, don't you have a job to do? Don't you have someone to get? And it's the same voice that he yeah, had heard in same, his head earlier. It's the same little speech. So it's good for us as an audience because you can see that. And he, he agrees and he runs off. And uh, John rocks up um, and the doctor kind of plays along. Oh, you saved my life. You scared him off. Why don't you come to dinner? Um, and he's at like, oh, okay, Taco Bell, Taco Bell. <laughs> which he's a bit like, you know, tell me to Taco Bell when you're the president or whatever the hell he is of this city. Um, anyway, so then we get like, he's <laughs> well, going the, with Huxley. It's not like a president would, I don't know, have a presidential dinner that was all just fast food takeaway. No, it's not. No president ever does that. See, I'm telling you, this is a very, you know, forward Spot on, seeing yeah. and, and relevant movie. Speaking of president, while they're driving in the car to this dinner, Huxley informs him that Schwarzenegger, the Schwarzenegger Library, I think yeah. is what they say. And he's like, what? And he's like, yes, Arnold Schwarzenegger, the famous actor, became the president. They wavered the fact that you had to be born in the States yeah. to, to become president, again, which is the current This rule. This came out before Schwarzenegger became the Yeah, any the became governor. the mayor, yeah. Oh, yeah, the governor, sorry. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, is, it is funny. And, and it was probably a, a last-minute addition to the movie as a joke in not acknowledgement of the last action hero, which came yeah. out just before this one, yeah, uh, where Stallone, Stallone is, is supposedly starring as a Terminator. Is in Terminator, yeah. yeah, yeah. So it's a nice kind of they gave each other little nods. But you see, just before they got in this car, though, there was there was that very interesting thing uh, where they say, "Well, he's gotten away. We we don't know where he is now. Like he's got his guns." But that's okay. So all we have to do now is wait for another one eight seven, and then we'll be there. And and I, I 
I feel as if you know, Spartans kind of, yeah, I'm glad we're playing. <laughs> like, yeah, well, like, so, no, he, he is, isn't he? Because Chief says that and everyone's like, yeah, that's right. It's like, Spartans like, yeah, good plan. Like, so you're going to yeah. wait for him to kill someone and then locate that kill. Like, yeah, follow the trail of murders. <laughs> you know, like it's nice. pretty bad police. But yeah, work, and the second one, then of course he questions about Taco Bell. He does, and this is nice because I think you and I, anyone that grew up in the '80s and the '90s, you know that there was this just this massive war going on, wasn't it? I mean, oh. we in Australia we didn't quite have all of these companies, but. She says, oh, Taco Bell were the ones that survived the franchise wars. and it, But it, it felt like that for a long time. And, just and like still the Coke a bit and Pepsi today. rivalry got yeah, really heated yeah. around yeah, the 80s and, and coming to the 90s. Was... But the funny thing now, isn't it? It's like we have a disruptive, um, because of the internet, and also then we have this disruptive culture of like things like food vans. Yeah. So, yes, you have those huge companies like McDonald's and Hungry Jack's and KFC, and they are huge franchises. Uh, and then even some of the other sort of restaurant style sizzler or whatever, right? But it's like we've also then had a disruptor to the market of like food vans. And what, like anything, the public kind of votes with their wallet and all of a sudden fast food, like a, a huge giant like Taco Bell, doesn't quite have the same ring to it anymore, you know? No, I But in this film, they made back, it that. <laughs> back in the days when we got McDonald's yeah, uh, in Canberra and my parents went, you know... Let's go and see what this is about yeah. because we'd heard yeah. about it. We've heard about McDonald's. Yeah. We're here in Australia and McDonald's had arrived in Australia in Sydney and things, but one came to Canberra and, yeah, it was kind of a bit special to go in there and get it. It was all a bit weird because uh, Australian hamburger joints are not even slightly like McDonald's, not no. even a little bit. And no. there's still a few of those around, the yeah, little fish and chip shops and things. You can get the burger with a lot and so on. Yeah. But it was a bit special and then... Certainly, yeah, coming through the 2000s, it's just kind of like, it's it's there, yep. It's there everywhere. But yeah, so it was kind of a nice that they, they kind of made it that, okay, one of them survived and it was just also every there, restaurant a, An extension of this extremes that this movie's yeah, portraying. That's it's right, painting yeah. the, the warfare of the 90s, which included, you know, massive competition Even between companies. restaurants, yeah, and customers. Corporations, yeah. and now it's everything's all peaceful and relaxed. And there's only one restaurant. There's only one restaurant. Every restaurant, yeah. is, Everyone restaurant about. is talking about. Yeah, Everyone, everyone's... And it's like that... Again, it's what Dennis Leary's character is fighting against, isn't it? It's like, no, I want to have a steak on the sun if I want to. You know, like, I don't want to have to eat this stuff. paint my about. body in green jelly and run naked <laughs> through the street. Yeah. So, Jesus, okay, um, anyway, at dinner, basically, he's told time and time again he's a dinosaur, he's prehistoric, he's too violent. Yeah, the people he make swearing, jokes at his... Yeah, um, his and he's also told that... Um, you know, about that society. The doctor says, well, society crumbled and he made it special and safe. So, you know, you need to honour that. Um, and he actually says, well, actually, I was in a nightmare for 35 years. He remembers his wife visiting him. Um, and they all kind of say, no, that's not possible. But his memory is that he remembers the 35 years mm -hmm. kind of thing. Uh, and then he starts to notice these underground people, the Dennis Leary people, and they're kind of up to trouble and they're like scoping out. And he says, oh, this is a, he says to Huxley, oh, something's up. This is like a cop, you know, it's a gut feeling. Something's going on. And um, the, lo and behold, like there is something going on and he runs out there and these people attack a van, a Taco Bell van, and they steal food. But he does a big action stunt, doesn't he? Yeah. Like gets them all under the 
marquee that's in the sort of local yeah, area. He's and, punching people up. And, yeah. And, but interesting, there's one guy that he goes to fight and the guy's like, ah, just leave me alone and like runs away like he doesn't mm, want to, even though dro- he's a big broody shy. Drops the food and runs. Kind of drops the food. And you notice that Spartan kind of, he, I think he's a bit more wise yeah, to what's... He's, he's, he's starting to look, he looks overseas, Dennis Leary, at the food thing and, and people stealing all the food and he looks across at the other people. Yeah. And they're not, they're, they're you know, not, there's a crowd of people watching. Yes. And they're not being attacked or anything. No, they're not sort of attacking. They're not, they're not stealing into yeah. this wealth. Or, and that, or I think that's then after that he tries to stop this really big guy that's as big as him and he like just drops the food and runs. Like he doesn't fight him or anything. Yeah. So he, I think he has a realisation that these people are, are just hungry. Um, and he's told that they're underground people, the scabs. That's oh, what they're called. Disgusting. Um, and, uh, but he feels terrible realising that they're just actually hungry people. Um, the doctor comes home after that and finds Phoenix in his home and he's changed all the light clo- <laughs> codes. Yeah. And I like this. It's all illuminate, illuminate. It's all voice activated. Which yeah, all... Out, out in my living room, we've got the little, little Google thing. And I'm uh, Ooh, so sophisticated. There's so yeah, and, and Google. We, we command her to, to play music for Ooh. us and put Netflix on and YouTube. And she does all sorts of things for you. Does amazing things. Mostly I use it for cooking timers. Get your sex chair vibrating. Get my sex chair ready. <laughs> hey, you, I won't say it because uh, she'll be listening. <laughs> she'll get warm, the sex chair. Yeah, it'll warm up. Hose <laughs> off the sex chair. I was just going to say, like, cleanses itself from last time. <laughs> Getting ready for this time. <laughs> the <Okay>. vinyl. <laughs> Scrape it down. <laughs> Anyway, so... Um, we apologise for that break. We do. Regular schedule to listen. <laughs> um, but he... So Phoenix actually asks him, oh, we need some hard men. Release these hard men and you'll, you'll get what you want. I'll yeah. kill Egna and uh, I'll take care of Spartan and it'll all go back. But I just want a few extra henchmen, you know? And he yeah, gives them a this, list of names. I don't, want, I don't want the real crazy killer types. Yeah, yeah. Because you only, I only want one of those around and that's me. I only want one maniac, yeah. Um... So then they're returning back to his new home. Huxley set him up in this sort of sophisticated apartment. It's very Japanese style, isn't it? Oh, but I like Huxley's apartment. Yeah, Huxley's it's, apartment. It's, um, and there's a lot of, there's, there's not a lot, but there's some futuristic shows which sort of make this joke. And Futurama famously did it as well, yeah. where our own knowledge of history is quite sketchy. If you go yeah. back... If you go back, say, two, three, four hundred years, yeah, we've got pretty good history. Like, yeah. People have got it yeah. recorded. Uh, if you go back to the, the time, say, before the Dark Ages, and the reason they're called Dark Ages is because we don't really know what happened. Like, you go back to the year 1000 or 800, you've got mostly sort of rumors and stories, and, and it's all intermingled. And the artifacts, you know, what sort of clothes they wore, the yeah. food they ate, the armor, the, the weapons. The details get a bit sketchy. All those things, <laughs> it's a, there's like a 500-year stretch, say, or probably even longer than that, probably like an 800-year stretch yeah. where it's all intermingled. Yes. And we kind of don't really know. So we've yeah. got movies where, like, you know, like King Arthur, mm. getting about, they're wearing this uh, steel, shiny steel plate male armor, yeah. which didn't come around until, like, the 1500s. You know, it was mm. like... The yeah. last stages of uh, armor, just as guns were starting to come in. Like prior to that, they couldn't forge those things. But we've got, you know, people using crossbows when they didn't invent them. But so then what, they're using what Huxley certain weapons. Got? And yeah. Huxley's got her apartment to look like the nineties. Only <laughs> it's the way she thinks the nineties is, and it's all over the place. Like there's yeah. a poster of JFK, for example. Yeah. From the 60s. 
And then she's got like, you know, a jukebox, which would be more like, I don't know, the 50s even, Mm. you know. But then she's also got, you know, um, various sort of signage and advertising, which is probably more the 80s and 70s. Mm. But she's saying, oh, this is the the ultimate 90s apartment, isn't it? And he's like, no, not really. (laughs) Yeah, it's not quite right. But anyway, Um, but she then is very outright and she says, do you want to have sex? And he's like, well, yeah, you're an attractive young woman, half my age at least. And uh, I'll go for it. was about 50 when this movie. (laughs) Very Hollywood again. You know, the woman has to be probably in her early 20s and he's 50. Um, But uh, so he's like, he kind of warms up a little bit. She says she's going to the bathroom. So you're expecting her to catch. She comes out just in a bathrobe. So he's kind of ready to start doing his thing. And um, she puts this metal thing on his head and tells him to relax. And he's confused. But she starts kind of moaning and groaning with her eyes shut with this thing. So he closes his eyes and it's quite interesting how I liked how they did this because it kind of, it's like you see these flashes, these cuts and he, he doesn't quite like it because mm. he's the Neanderthal man. And then he's like opening his eyes, looking at her and he, close, and he starts seeing things and he starts to like it. And you see these flashes of her face um, and, and, you know, strobing red coloured lights and stuff. Um, and you do get, and it, I mean, I remember being, when I saw this, the age I was being a bit excited. Freeze filming you it. You do get. Freeze framing it. <laughs> well, I saw it at the movies, I remember, yeah. so you didn't get to freeze, freeze frame in the movies, but probably years later when I got the thing. But you get boobs. You get yeah, a couple of seconds of boobs. Of boobs. And like... there is, I did look this up after watching this in terms of, are they Sandra Bullock's boobs? And I don't think they are. No. I don't know because I don't know her I, personally. I wouldn't have expected She could so. come on this show and correct us. If Sandra Bullock <laughs> wants to tell us if they're her boobs or not. Or someone or out there that double? maybe, as I suspect, played the body double could come on the show and tell us that they were her boobs and not Sandra Bullock's boobs. But it's a, it's an interesting thing. There's a Reddit forum out there about it and everything. So oh, really? It just shows you how people get excited about these little flashes That's... of boobs and uh, you know get into it. It's kind of a little bit sad too. It is very people, sad. People but... who kind of like there's there's so much uh, in this movie that is, as I said, relevant, contemporary, future, you know, good future yeah, vision, good future, and, interesting uh, future, interesting social commentary, and some funny jokes. But there's boobs, sorry, and there's then boobs. The one thing they actually make a subreddit about is the like. Yeah. Hey, I'm not saying there's not subreddits about other bits of the, this film, the but there is five <laughs> frames of five frames of say. possibly Bullock's boobs, but I don't think they are. But anyway, so, and then he, he gets too weirded out and he throws the machine and he suggests, let's have sex. And she's totally grossed out. She's like, no, 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 that got ruled out because of AIDS and then other diseases. Yeah, she listed a whole bunch of pandemics. Um, and so she kicks him out and he leaves. He's a good gentleman. He doesn't, he doesn't pursue it anymore. He checks out his apartment. Um, Actually, I've got to say, I was quite pleased at that because I, yeah. I, I, it's like you, it's been 20 years, something, a long yeah. time since I've watched this movie. And I was going, oh, geez, I hope this day they don't. He doesn't push some sort of oh, but you really want it type yeah, of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Instead, he's just like, yeah, he, yeah, he, he sort of he, he does sort of gently leaning for a bit of a kiss, but holds it there. Yeah. And she backs up and goes, "Oh, what the hell? No, get out!" And he goes, "Oh, okay." Yeah. Uh, I I thought, but oh well, and he got out. So yeah, I was, he shows a good. I was quite pleased with yeah. that. I went, "Oh, thank goodness!" He, yeah, you know, didn't go didn't there. go any further. Yeah, and then he's checking out his apartment, um, and he kind of has a bit of a. I don't know, self-reflection in the mirror of what he's wearing and stuff. Um, anyway, and he, he'd asked her for this little mini DVD, which is great, because it makes me think, you remember in about 92, there was 
super DVDs. Well, she mentions I've watched all the laser discs. Laser discs. And like, because that was the future, apparently. It's like, <laughs> yeah, laser discs in the future, which are like record size DVDs. And then and if it's you don't like, know what a record this is. was a little mini DVD, which at least they've tried to do something like that. Sometimes of a garbage um, bin, the old laser disc. Yeah, because that someone was might huge. say, we have records, but. Not a lot of people have seen them. And you see the surveillance footage of Phoenix and Dr. Um, uh, yeah, meeting and, in fact, revealing what happened. So he knows. And it's interesting there because he starts crocheting, I think they call it. Knitting. knitting. Yeah, yeah. But I think it is crocheting when it's like that. There's a difference. But anyway, so he does if that. If you're a crocheting expert. Yeah, let us know. Knitting expert. Um, so the next morning know. he walks up to Huxley and apologises and actually gives her a crochet jumper. Yes. <laughs> Uh, which she loves, um, and they're driving off, and um, he he's talking about well, why why did I know how to do that? All I can think about since I've come out is that I know how to I want to knit, and he mentions a whole bunch of different knots and stuff, um, and she says, well, you know, um, prisoners are supposed to have rehab where we we train them on different things. He's like, oh, all I can think about knitting, and then he starts to say, well, hang on. Phoenix seems stronger and smarter and he knows karate. So Huxley actually looks that up through the computer and um, they realise that Phoenix did have all this training done. Oh, yeah, like all the bad bad boy training. The worst bad boy training you could imagine. It's like the Matrix training, right? It is. It's incredible, you know. And pretty much the same sort of thing. It just took a bit longer to download into his brain, but yeah. yeah. It's a cool idea, that idea, but isn't it? Like, you go to sleep and get training uh, and you sleep, you know. It's the it, ultimate it, human learning. Isn't it, it is the dream because the, the number of things I think... I'd love to uh, know karate. I, I, I don't want to spend eight years mastering yeah, it. Yeah, I wish I? I knew how to do that because like, I've done a number of things like uh, handy man type things. And and my first go is always, yeah, it's okay. It, yeah, it, yeah. it does the job. Yeah. But you sort of think, you oh, okay, so there's this couple extra little tricks that no matter... No, no matter how many books you read or how many YouTube videos you watch, you, you just kind of like, don't yeah. get it until you... It done. takes that master, like which they talk about like 10,000 hours, don't they? Seven years of someone doing something to really become a master, you know? So like, being able to just plug your yeah, head so in just plug just your head in. No <laughs> stuff would be awesome, mate. Plug that USB in, sorry, damn it. Um, so anyway, they confront the, do- <laughs> confront the doctor who uh, he denies, you know, the connection... Um, and they're talking. He's talking to the doctor in those chairs that you were talking about, rotating chairs. And he just Spartan just blows them apart with his gun, saying, "This is what you want, violence or something." And the assistant kind of just does a bit of a look off to the side, stage right. Yeah. <laughs> and he so Spartan is too clever for that, and he then has the gun at the doctor's head. Um, and the doctor kind of makes it all emotional, and he says, "Well, the thing is, in this world, you're dead. Your wife is dead. Your family is dead." You don't exist. You know, you need to go back into the system yeah. and just go back to sleep. Um, and he, Spartan replies, get fucked. <laughs> and he, the sensor thing spits off and he shoots that sensor, which well, sort of I, shocks I him. I love these sensor things because every time he swears, every time he swears, you, you hear, hear it. You hear, even just a little background. Yeah. And you always hear it. In the, and in the background of the shot, you can see it yeah. with a little ticket coming yeah. out. And that attention to detail is fantastic. Yeah. And the doctor orders him back into Cairo, um, but Huxley doesn't actually arrest him. So, you know, they leave, they go looking for Phoenix. She um, says, I mean, I'm, I'm quite conflicted. You know? Yeah, I'm quite conflicted. Anyway, and Spartan's just ignoring their authority anyway. And um, so he goes with Huxley and Garcia gets to the sewer sort of pipe where he's like, well, you can't find Phoenix because he's underground now with these other underground people. 
not that he really knows completely about them. And he says, well, you can come with me, you know, or you can arrest me, um, but I'm going, you know. Yeah. And Huxley and Garcia agree to go with him. And they end up in the sewers. And what's going on in the sewers, sorry? Oh, everything. Life is going on in the mm. sewers. But he gets down there and they're saying, be careful, for, you know, watch out for anything. They're all happen. terrorists down here. Yeah. And so they're sort of creeping along and they and step out and it's like a street scene from yeah. uh, Blade Runner, really. <laughs> But yeah, or Total it, Recall on yeah, Mars. Yeah, on quite Mars. Similar, isn't there it? was a lot of aesthetic similarities yeah, yeah. for the Total Recall. But what you're seeing is families there's, and children. Yeah, there's and people. And then like, like people working and selling and marketing. Yeah, they're sitting down and, and chatting and stuff. Yeah, they're normal. And, it's the normal. Yeah, Spartan starts to relax a bit. It's going, oh, this yeah. is not at all what I thought. No. And then they go. And she actually says. They're not acting hostile. Yeah, they're, not, they're not attacking us. They're not attacking us. Like, they're surprised. They're actually a bit, like, afraid of the police. Yeah. And, um, and, then, and then they they recoil from the stench. Oh, they're revolting sort of, and stench. And he, he sniffs and he likes it. And what he does he head it. to? We, that kind of turned my stomach a little bit first. Where they're down in his underground and they smell. <laughs> oh. He goes to a, a bar and there's, like, some woman... Cooking beef, Spanish. On the... she's, she's cooking burgers. Burgers, yeah. And he get, he orders he orders a burger and a beer and he gets them and, and he hands loves over it. the Rolex, uh, Huxley's yeah. Rolex watch, which looks sort of funky, uh, Apple Watch if you like. <laughs> and, and he gets the burger. He starts eating. He says, "Oh, this is oh, a really good it's burger. The best burger ever." He says, uh, "You know," uh, and Huxley says, "I'm like, yeah, you know, it's it's not beef. Where are the cows?" Yeah. And he stops and goes, "What?" What is it? It's Ratto. Oh, rat. This is Rat. And he looks for a little bit. He keeps chewing. Takes another bite. Best burger I've had. Best burger. <laughs> and he walks up, continuing to eat it. Yeah. And in the next shot, he finishes eating it. Finishes you know, eating like, it. Which is great. It's quite unusual to see someone eat food in a yeah, movie. Yeah, it is. It's very unusual. It is. Um... So they, they, this is where she sees that muscle car that you, yeah, you talked about. Their freedom. Freedom. It's a big you. red muscle car, 1970s. She lists off everything about it, which yeah, is so a good sort of like. Um, it's a, it's a strange choice, though, for muscle car because yeah. you would have thought they would go for something like a, you know, a bit more like a, a Corvette or a Mustang mm. or yeah. a, you know, a nah, but Chevelle or a. Or yeah, a but this is that down GTO to earth. This thing, this is that down. It's, it's that what I was saying about it. Look, I'm not a total car guy, but it's like it takes you down to something like a hole in Kingswood because it's like this is the down to earth everyday person car, I think. And I think yeah. that's the difference. Like, so there's muscle car, which is those cars, you know, the in Australia, we, the Ford Falcon and the Kingswood and the Commodore and the Toronto, like they're the everyday person. But then, of course, you can have the really up GTS, you know, the real upmarket kind of, you know, thing that costs three times. It. Whereas, and I think that's the same with this car, like. It's 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 a real muscle car. It's not something that is outside of that realm of the everyday person. I think. Yeah. Well, maybe maybe it's it's but a I could cultural thing that I'm missing here. But yeah, because it says like it's an Oldsmobile 422 or something like that. And I thought to myself, Oldsmobile. It's just like what the hell car yeah. is that? Mm. That'd be like saying, oh no, that's not a Holden Commodore. That's a I don't know what's a crazy ass little thing. That's a Toyota Ferrari. <laughs> What's one of those ones? The Toyota Lexan. Yeah. And you right. kind of go, oh, what? Yeah. That's just weird. Like, Who so remembers that car? It's <laughs> yeah, a weird sort of little car. Um, the the Lexan was actually just a rebadged Commodore anyway. Yeah, but, yeah. But anyway, the uh, yeah. So is it maybe it's a cultural? Maybe American car yeah. enthusiasts would go, oh no, the oh the Oldsmobile. Oh, that different. was the real. Yeah, yeah. Maybe that's a real common car. Well, I think right? so. And anyway, they they're looking and admiring this car when Egner. 
rocks up with a few goons and they threaten them with guns. Um, Spartan doesn't really kind of blink an eyebrow, eyebrow uh, uh, an eyelid over it. And um, he actually says, well, I don't like the doctor. When this is all over, I'm going to take down the doctor. And so Egner does his rant, which is the asshole song. Yes. I'm sure it is the asshole song. If you're out there, let me know. Because um, he, you know, he, he just, it's totally, he rants about being freedom and all this sort of stuff. And at the end of it, he just says, all I want to do is bury Qatar up to his neck in shit. <laughs> Which is a great line. It's so like, you know, the Goonies and stuff in the 80s. It was all about shit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, anyway, and then we cut to Phoenix, who's now with all his sidekicks. Who the hell is the man in there, which I loved. I knew this was coming in this film, by the way, from the opening credits. But he, he, Phoenix he says, like, he gives him the plan. We're going to take out this Egner guy and then we're going to take out the Doctor and we're going to just control this city. Yeah. Because they're not used to violence. We're just going to overtake it. This pussy-whipped world, he says. And when he's saying that, he's looking at Jesse Ventura. Who's Jesse Ventura? Sorry. He's a sexual Tyrannosaurus. <laughs> just <laughs> like me. A wrestler and from Predator, we love it. He's back in this film. I love it. I love it. He's a connected, big, muscly man. Um, and it, I mean, look, by the they all sort of head off to kill Egner, and they come across um, actually the fact that oh, hang on, he's right here. Spartans they, here. They see the little. They're having like a cup of coffee. A little, yeah, they're right. just standing there, and so they attack. There's a gunfight. There's a good old fashioned fight going on between some of the henchmen and Jesse Ventura. You know, it's all happening. Um, and in fact, Spartan gets the upper hand of Phoenix, who then has to kind of escape, and he runs up the uh, of course, fire escape kind of thing. I, I think who is his um, Chekhov's gun? So we, we see this muscle car. Yeah. It must therefore be used in a yeah. chase. And so Huxley and I, um, could you imagine how disappointing that would be if we just saw, saw this, this gun car and, and, never... and they sort of ran, rattle off all of its details <laughs> and so forth, and then you never and use it, and that's it. That's the last we ever see of it again. Yeah, that would but, just that would be killed. Phoenix escapes up this ladder and Spartan actually says, do you realise that this is a lift? And so he like, you know, rips a bit of the chunk of the wall off and there's old controls there. So he turns it on uh, and it's a great moment that then, um, you know, Phoenix gets up into the real world, hops in the cop car, takes off down the road and then Spartan and uh, Huxley just come up and they like launch into a modern day car showroom, don't yes. they, of all places. I don't know how that lift... Does that? Like, no. It's a bit of like a glass elevator event there. Like, yeah, the lift actually yeah. extends above the... Sorry, it's the same level. as the Mythbusters con- concept. It wouldn't go through that in reality, but this is a Hollywood film. I don't know, maybe car lifts are hydraulic underneath and push yeah. up through floors often. It didn't matter. It made the but it, scene It looked powerful. awesome because it smashed up <laughs> and the floor fell apart. People like, flew away and, and all this. Guns it and it goes roars to life and he smashes through the glass. Of he course. does. People it's, jumping to the side. That's it. Tremendously dangerous. You always love that, don't you? Like they, they always do that as well. Like whenever a car has to smash through glass, there's always just like people standing there and they're like, ah! And they have to jump to the <laughs> like, side. Like that would be terrifying, wouldn't it? Like oh if a huge God, car you, is roaring to you you'd from probably inside. Go, you'd probably go into shock and sit there, you know. You'd and, probably and just stand there and get run over. Have a hyperglycemic. Yeah. And that amount of like glass smashing, you'd probably like get cut up. But anyway, but this is a movie, and and Um, if gasoline's going to get lit on fire by cigarette butt, cars smashing through windows don't care. Anyway, so he flies it down the freeway, catches up to uh, Phoenix. They're having a good old car chase. Uh, He then he gets Huxley to take over. He He jumps on the front. 
and he tells her, you know, and she knows. She's like, oh yeah, they do this in Lethal Weapon. You know, we're gonna we're gonna do this. So she drives up. He jumps onto the cop car. They have a bit of a shootout. He slams his and I arm. Love the way bits of the car. Phoenix is talking to himself constantly. He is. He's making a little commentary. Oh, oh you're up there. I'm going to shoot you up there. Huh? Ah, shoot He's you up there. very... Um, hey, how about this? I'm going to get you over here and get you... Over. Yeah, it's a bit um, Coyote, isn't it? You know, from Cody and um, the Roadrunner. You know, it's like it's like commenting on what I'm about to do to the good guy. You know, that's sort of that idea no, of... I wonder if the Coyote doesn't comment, but yeah, no. But he, no, he does, because he's always like, oh, ha-ha, TNT, I'm going to yeah. get you. You know what I mean? Like, it's not commentary so much but it's like revealing that money yeah, yeah and, and he opens the door and puts his gun and says uh say hello to my little friend yeah. it's, uh, you know scarface reference and yes uh, yeah they fight and, bits they and, pieces fight. and yeah spartan wrestles the gun off him and uses it to wrench the door out and yeah that drops aside and he he jumps in and starts having a fist fight and they're fighting him. against the speeding uh, freeway phoenix and... gets the upper hand and starts pushing john down and bumps him against yeah. the road a couple of times and then, not before, then John sort of redoubles his efforts and launches Phoenix out. He pulls him over himself, doesn't Lucky he? Lucky yeah. Phoenix is wearing tyre rubber armour. On the road, he rolls off. Uh, but then the, the controls of the car are messed up. They're too And damaged. he can't actually control He, he nah. tries to, to command it left and right a bit, and then it launches off over a... Uh, is that, is that the police station? It is. It goes yeah. straight into the police station. All places. Over, over the, the little nameplate thing. and smashes the, the sign. Into the pond. Yeah. And his car, last thing was his car fills with foam. Yeah, it does. <laughs> as it hits. Which I, I think that was really good. Though. And this is one of those things we do like in science fiction where they, yeah. they show off these science fiction yeah. elements. Like, yes. Because they could have easily just had the car crash. Yep. Uh, they could have had the car crash off screen. And yes. he just, you know, because it wasn't really important. But... It was just kind of cool that they yeah. revealed that here's a, a, here's future, a tech. future car mm. technology. And, and it's funny as well after that, and I thought this even as a kid because he kind of gets out and he's okay, and Huxley's actually like, oh, are you okay? Like, oh, mm. you're brushing away the foam. Like, oh, that would have been really, like, annoying, all that foam. You know, he's yeah. like, and yet he's walking away from something that would probably kill you in the 90s, you know? Um, so that, that was quite nice. The chief then confronts him, accuses, again, going back to being a brute, and just as this, and you're going to be under arrest and all that, then Egner arrives with his big gang. Um, and they sort of, the chief is like, oh, what do we do? We're going to have a fight here. And um, uh, um, um, Spartan is actually saying, well, we're going after Phoenix and the doctor, you're not arresting us. You can't do anything about it. You know, take, give me a gun, give me another gun. Um, and uh, chief says, you know, Huxley arrested him. And she says, uh, take this. Uh, job and shovel it. Yes, one of her many mangled yeah. phrases. The, the, the other one was when they're going down to into the underground. They we'll, we'll find this guy and we'll blow him. Yeah. <laughs> and then there's like a pause, and John looks, blow him away. <laughs> yeah. But whatever. Yeah. yeah whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So, but anyway, so but the point is that she's kind of saying, "Now, nah, bugger it." Um, Phoenix is talking really happy um, to the doctor. Uh, who says everyone is terrified. The Doctor's really happy, not Phoenix so much. Um, Phoenix does try to kill him, but he just, just can't pull the trigger. So he says to Jesse Ventura, kill him. And he just does. Yeah, bang, just bang, bang, bang. And they laugh and they chuck their body into the fire. Yeah, that's quite brutal, <laughs> I thought. It's I like... was really... And I actually was like, oh, wow, that's really cool because you, it's that not that traditional, like, oh, he's the big 
henchmen of the city and John Spartan's going to have to fight him at some point and it's yeah. going to be like on top of a building. I was actually this... Like, this. I was like, wow, that's just like a real like get rid of him plot point, well, isn't this, it? Well, this watch through, uh, being older and wiser, I was going, how would John, like, how would this end... Yeah, because he can't fight him because he's just he's, an old he's, man. Yeah, he's not yeah. A, a combatant. He's not like no. a mastermind criminal. No. He's just like a, a doofus uh, who ultimately does want peace and, and yeah, order. Yeah. Um, just going about it. The how, how would he resolve that if Phoenix didn't ki- kill him? How on earth would he resolve that situation? I yeah, I know. It's a tough one, isn't it? Anyway, luckily, so they brutally kill him. About yeah, killed, thrown in the fire, burnt. No um, Huxley and Spartan then attack you know, this building, the henchmen. They're fighting these men to the death. And we realise Huxley can actually, she can actually fight. Thanks to Jackie um, Chan. Thanks to Jackie films. Chan. Um, they also then discover the, the doctor is dead the in ashes, the fire. Yeah. In the ashes. <laughs> He's already got turned to ashes that yeah. quickly. Um and um, Phoenix It would have been then... a bit gruesome to have a yeah, um, charred corpse. Like... Um, but Phoenix's then plan is releasing all the bad boys from the 90s, cryo prison. So he's starting that process. Um, and he specifically mentions... Um, oh, who does he mention? That serial killer. Dharma. Dharma. Jeffrey Dharma. Yeah. I... Oh, I like that guy. <laughs> Except the funny thing is a lot of these serial killers are not... They're not criminals no, in that no, sense. They're right. they're murderers, but yeah. they're not. They wouldn't be really not, on his not, side in that way. No, they're not robbing banks. They're they're no. not uh, what you call it like Al Capone or no, a, no, or no. a Bonnie well, and Clyde. They're masterminds you know? in that way. They're just serial murderers. Yeah, they're, they're, aren't they? they're like, socially misaligned. They're after some in that you know, sense. Murder, but yeah. so it would have been quite useless having him released because mm. he would probably not do a lot. No. But, I, but there was the point of, like, terror in the city, I think. That was yeah. the idea. So if you, had, if you had Dharma out there eating people's penises and stuff, as he was known to do, um, it would probably create a lot of terror in this Well, in some society. countries, all they eat is penises. <laughs> oh, sorry, sorry. Yeah, I didn't realise that's where be you came bit, from. Be Your a country. More sensitive. Your home country, sorry. Germany, sorry. mostly. Yeah. They're they cannibal <laughs> well, advertised. Yeah, well, I won't go down that path of yeah. what the Germans are like to do um, with penises. But uh, so Spartan... <laughs> Spartan decides not to knock out Huxley, which this to me is that gender thing. I won't go into it because I think we've already been talking for too long at this point in time. Um, but he knocks her out and he, yeah. he, you know, so she's knocked out. But the point there is then she doesn't get in his way, you know. Um, it's also the point that from the point of view of the storyline, she had to be out of the scene so you could get the one-on-one. That's exactly because right. The, yeah. the final confrontation and we we know this from the way the story is developing we inherently know oh, that the story be must be a single one-on-one yeah between phoenix not, and spartan yeah not a confrontation because there's no strong relationship raised between spartan and uh, huxley mm. so if there had been sort of this romance subplot a stronger romance subplot then yeah you would have maybe had her there to be held hostage and but have to make some terrible decision. What I was thinking is that but, he could have tried to go kill Phoenix but then realise he actually needs the help of Huxley, you know, this time compared to what happened at the beginning. Be, I, I don't like, think that was... That, that wasn't, yeah, it wasn't what was quite the, Yeah, it wasn't quite the quest of his that, character. That would also it? have been a, a good, uh, I, I think, growth point there where yeah. he, he grows away from this demolition, you know, demolition like man one guy to being that, like, 
let's be a bit more of a team player. Yeah, let, like but, what would your how would you take him down? You but know instead, what I mean? this anyway, is no, this is, not this, is movie, this is the movie where he <laughs> yeah. has to settle his grudge. So anyway, he knocks her out. Um, and uh, anyway, all these prisoners are starting to be released. Um, and he's told Phoenix is told, yeah, we've, we've, they're all on the way out. So he just guns down all the scientists, um, which I think is important because again, then John's gonna blow up the place. He's not going to kill innocent people this time. Yeah, there's uh, so there's a little point to that as well. But enter John Spartan. They have a good old-fashioned gun battle to begin with. Um, and then Phoenix, when their guns stop working, Phoenix actually captures him with the huge mechanical arm that list, lifts the ice blocks out with the people in it. And he kind of gets stung and he hoists him right up into the sky inside this cryo prison. And he's tormenting him. But John gets the upper hand just by sort of breaking the right, well, yeah, fuse the gun, of it, the it, thing. It was spraying him with, with a machine gun. Yeah. So just while he was teasing him. You know, yeah. Just firing, firing odd bullets shots all over him. the place. And it ran out of bullets. So yeah. he goes, ah, stupid thing. Yeah. And that, that cut one of the lines. It did. So, so he could freeze the mechanic arm a bit. Yeah. And with a um, mighty kick, he kicks his way out just in time. Just in time and jumps down. Um, and uh, because also he's fired all these bullets... There's all the cryo freezing fluid is starting to flow everywhere as well. Yeah, so the so whole place is starting to get a bit chaotic. But yeah, it's a connection back to the gasoline at the mm. start. Um, they've all run out of weapons and they have a good old fashioned again. It's like the same. They stand off, you know, like, are you ready for this? Yeah. Ready for this? Oh, it's going to be so good. <laughs> this is the bit that we really like. We don't actually like the guns. I'm deliberately missing you, to be honest, because I just want to get in there and throw a few punches. Um, and so they do. They, they, they start fighting... Um, at the same time, the prison is starting to like spark up and things are starting to fall apart a bit and yeah, I mean, collapse. That, you always have this impression. Cutting laser like, thing that, yeah. that Phoenix uses at one point so yeah. it slashes through a whole bunch of stuff. And it yeah, so crazy. things are, and just things start, this always happens, you know, things start, there's either a fire or something, you know, in this context, this big futuristic prison is starting to collapse because everything has kind of gone astray with all the bullets and the fighting. Um, Spartan is losing the battle and he kind of like rolls over on the floor and Phoenix is like, you know, he's like, oh, this is the best day of my life because he's about to kill him. Um, and this Spartan knows the fluid. And so he charges up that uh, old cop baton that seemed pretty useless so far. And he just rams it into the fluid, doesn't he? No, no, there was a freezing... But, but, uh, oh, was it? I thought it was the No, it was, it was uh, the, the freezy... Sphere ball. It's in. Oh, that, okay. It's in that cylindery tube thing that looks uh, like a combat. Okay, so but I've got to be he confused. He smashes that on the ground. That's right. He smashes it on the ground. So then that ignites the fluid, but instead of a fire, it turns it into the freezing. Oh, he says, "Just before he says, just me, or is it a bit cold in cold. here?'" <laughs> Which is just a throwback again to make sure you remember yeah. the start. So this instantly freezes the fluid, which Phoenix is standing in. So it slowly freezes him up. Spartan, however, just jumps out of the way as it would have frozen him oh, as yeah. well. Just jumps and grabs that mechanical arm that he was stuck to earlier. So he avoids contamination. This and Swings him around. Swings him around the room, like the really large room. Phoenix freezes head to, you know, from top to tail. Uh, everything else, the walls and everything is freezing up. And as he comes around, he says, heads up. Heads he just, up. 
kick. Phoenix frozen over, of course, and he kicks his head off him, and a bit of blood and stuff. Frozen <laughs> blood spills. He bounces over. once and then shatters into shatters. a million pieces. Yeah. It's just. And then he jumps down because the mechanical arm is freezing, so that again he doesn't get contaminated. Yeah. Perfect. And he goes um, running out of there, and explosions, and the whole the whole prison complex basically just yeah, shoots just a big gush of fire. Things out of everywhere. Fire. Um, Just again the same as the starter, but this time he didn't say kill. Yeah, he didn't say Phoenix. He he kicked his head off. (laughs) Kicked his head off, but at the same time with a one-liner. There wasn't the good ones. Um, And when he gets out, the chief says, "Did you arrest him?" He says, "No, he won't be bothering anyone anymore." And this is that thing that we were talking about earlier. That Egner kind of comes up, and he wants a riot. He wants to party. He wants to have a good time, but. And the chief is confused, and it's quite nice because Spartan actually says, "No, you need, you both need to tone it down, and yeah. come to some sort of thing. You'll work it out." Like he doesn't have the answer, but he he says you'll get to some sort of thing. Um, Huxley is really unhappy. She knocked him out, and this is where I'm talking about a bit of that male kind of thing because he just goes, "Oh, woman, unhappy. I'll just kiss you." Yeah, and then he just like and he just like slops a big juicy one a on kiss her, off her. steals a kiss of her. That's a um, bit. Um... A bit rude. Yeah, but then she likes it and she's like, oh, it's all fluid transmission like this and kisses him back. Uh, and he says, I think I'll like the future, actually. Um, and she says, now that you've demolished it, which is, yeah. again, a nice little yeah, touch back to Demolition Man. And he walks away off into the distance saying, how do those damn three seashells work? Yeah, it's, it's <laughs> Roll lot. credits. The end, sorry. And Sting sung the last... Did he? Which reminded me, actually, speaking of Lethal Weapon, where Eric Clapton did the ending titles for uh, Lethal Weapon 2, I see yep. what I'm saying. So, which I found was sort of funny that these these big action films, which are kind of really big brutish and um, overly heteronormative sort of Neanderthals, which is why we love them so much. <laughs> but then they have this sort of quite famous... Musicians doing mm. the, the ending titles for it, which is yeah, it's quite, interesting, isn't it? Quite an interesting. I don't know how you approach Sting and say we want you to do the t- ending titles to titles for a movie like this. And he goes, oh yeah, yeah, why not? Why not? Why not? Eric, it's Eric a, Clapton did the. Uh, it's did a bit of a weapon. softer end, isn't it? Music, music yeah. wise. So well, let's just talk about the latter then, because this one comes under the classic. For me, I am kind of ordering them. I know you're just kind of putting I'm doing them alphabetic into I'm, alphabetical. So I, I think there is a bit of an order in my head yeah. as to, but the problem is it depends on whether I'm ordering it by how um, significant it is to the genre versus That's a good point, how, yeah. how many times I want to watch it or, or refer to it mm. or how much relevance it has to me when I watched it. Those sorts of things. They're questions that are a bit difficult to, to entirely sort out. I'm so. just doing it the other way, which is I actually am kind of ordering, and as we're watching them this time through, through Space Brains, I'm just kind of going, what one do I like a bit more? So for me, this one does come in after Total Recall, but above Predator. So, you know, oh, those ladders, those ladders oh, are... It, I would have put Predator above it, but it's, it's hard to do because oh. any one of these I'd watch at a drop of a hat. Like, it's funny because, I get, yeah, I would. I would re-watch all of these again. That's why we're picking them. That's why they are classics. But it just, yeah, I don't know. Like, I, I like the fun of this film. I think this film has that, like, I love the future side of it and then I love the fun of it. It kind of yeah, takes a little bit of a mickey out it of does, itself. It does have quite a few sort of, yeah, sort of jokes in yeah, there. Yeah, like but... in-jokes, 90s in-jokes. I felt a little bit like a teenage boy watching this again. 
Like, I don't know, it just, it just kind of still captures me a lot. I don't think it's actually quite as sophisticated as Total Recall. Like, I really think Total Recall has, is the, that mm, whole package yeah. as a sci-fi, but, but I don't, and I don't think this, and I do remember that some people at the time, they, they, they joked that this film was not very good, but, and I was like, as a teenage boy going, oh, what the hell are you talking about? But like, even watching it now, I'm like, no, nah, it's, it's quite sophisticated, this film. Like, it's quite clever. It does joke about itself. And then I think you could probably argue that some of those self-referential jokes maybe take the audience then out of the world a little bit too much. You know, like the fact of having literally that she likes Lethal Weapon, maybe that's a little bit too far down the path. It, it is funny. But then, but then it is I, funny, though, because like you see those sorts of things and you're not used to seeing references to no, existing reality. That's right. Which is frustrating, I find, in, in a number of like horror-type movies where... Yeah. Particularly zombie movies mm. or vampire, you sort of think, so here's this zombie outbreak has happened. There's not been, you're telling me, there's not been one single horror movie ever <laughs> in that universe, let yeah, alone yeah. a horror movie that has featured zombies. That's right. Are you saying no one has ever yeah. come up with that concept? So there's, there's the extremities, and there's something like Scream that self reference references like Freddy Krueger when Wes Craven is now the director of Scream and. You know, so it's like referencing the exact same films yeah. that the director has been behind and been successful with, and and other than horror films, it, that's what Scream does really well. But then, yeah, you're exactly right. You get other horror films that like, oh, this is the first time ever that well, there's a monster. In there. yeah. you know, it's like, it's like what? You know, like have you not heard of Frankenstein? <laughs> like, have you not heard of like even like older horror stories? You know, is, yeah. so. Yeah, you're exactly right. So, so when, I mean, yeah, when you do see it in a movie like this, where you see a lethal weapon poster, yeah. you do feel a bit kind of, oh, that's really kind of weird. Yeah, like it's understandable because lethal weapon was a big movie big at movie. its time. Yeah, they have the lethal weapon two up there. Yes, and the red hot chili peppers poster. Yeah, like big, again, it's big, big band, huge band at the, yeah. at the time. Oh, there's, mm. there's still great music, and yeah. and they've produced some good stuff. Um, they've got a bit of a history of being movies. I remember seeing them one of their first movies. One of these like Gidget surf movies yeah yeah you can you can just recognize because they're playing nothing that's on their album yeah but you you recognize the chili peppers when you're yeah. saying but anyway yeah it is a bit we it i suppose maybe it feels a bit like a product placement more so than yeah. a reality mm. sort of thing but uh you but can, it, was, it was supposed to be setting up like you know it's the same as you walk into these retro restaurants now and they're retro in like 1950s or 60s culture well you know what they're really and it's too it. much it's like ott and then this is what huxley yeah, is just... like it's like it's like she's covered the wall and all this stuff oh, there's a particular restaurant in perth the hamburger one that does that i won't mention names but like they do that they do that retro look and it's like but they do it ott like, is that like the one every in single sign you um, there's Fast Eddie's that does oh, it. Yeah, oh, yeah, so yeah, like, okay. um, but again, they do that. Like, and they, all they do because I knew a guy that worked there many years ago. It's like when they built a new store, it's like they just literally buy all that shit off someone, you know? Like, and they just plaster it everywhere. There's no relevance to it so yeah. much, you know. And it felt a bit like that with Huxley, but I liked that. I liked that there was that kind of connection. What about just one best scene? Because I'm conscious one of the scene. time. I'm, Sorry, I, I reckon we should move the the twin first. And the last scenes. Yeah. Like the, the last scene in particular was, it's a scene you don't see very often anymore, the, the sort of composition where there is freaking everything happening. Like I was really paying attention to this. There was strobing of lights. There was steam and gas flying. There was bits of sort of fire that was shooting and banging mm. and yeah, the machines moving yeah, about. Yeah. And it was just, it was so visually and audibly intense. 
yep. the whole thing. You could not have made it more an intense situation. Mm -hmm. And then it all culminates with what you can see sort of coming is in the, that that pause with, uh, you know, is it getting just me or is it cold in here? <laughs> and you can see Phoenix knows what's happening. He's, he's pulled back. What's he, what's he got? He's going to hit or shoot or do something. Yeah. And, yeah, he smashes he's it. He's stuck, yeah. Just that, that whole fight scene is... is Hard to do that mm, and yeah, pull it yeah. off well, and you can tell that there's a lot of action movies that have come and gone mm. since then that just don't do it. Yeah, or I, they've tried and failed. I know way back with this movie, and 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 we can probably Google and find it out. But I remember seeing in the aftermath of this movie, Sylvester Stallone saying that Wesley Snipes and him threw real punches mm. in those scenes, like they they not to much of them up, but it was just like that's how they kind of acted it out like as two actors they were like just hit me you know what I mean like they just kind of went for a full old-fashioned just give us a few actual punches like we're not going to pretend to act here just throw something at me an elbow a head like they didn't really choreograph it so much and I think you can see that in those in this film that mm -hmm. they really do have a bit of a hit out you know <laughs> and it works well yeah it's good so and again the first scene there was just so much this helicopter's coming in there's uh, anti-aircraft gunfire shooting off around yeah, them. Definitely. He bungee jumps down into this. I know that's incredible. Ruined building amid gunfire, <laughs> and you know, blasts his way through. And it was just those those two scenes as one scene together. Yeah. Uh, of that that mirror, it was just uh, it was really well done. There's one other fight scene that I've seen that was similar in some ways. There's a movie by Jet Li called The One. I don't know if oh, you've yeah, seen it. Yeah, a bit of a yeah. science fiction film yeah. about multiple universes. But at the end of that, they're in a, a steelworks or something, and there's these big machines clunking and banging yeah. and sparks flying yeah. everywhere. So when they're doing their martial arts, mm. the sparks and everything are all in slow motion because they're supposedly fighting super yeah. fast and strong. Yeah, right. And so you get this real, like there's these red glows and sparks splashing everywhere and yep. hammers smashing and... Yeah, you really, it's such an intense and interesting thing that it's it's fun. It's almost like a Pope in the swimming pool, you know, like yeah, the scene yeah, and everything so much. exciting that you're not uh, paying attention to how dull sometimes a fist fight can be. Yeah. You know, yeah. you see some of these fist fights and you're kind of going, yeah, in fact, the, that new, the latest Star Wars song with the Ray and, and um, Kylo lightsaber battles, a lot of those were, were kind of, I just remember watching going, Okay, so when is this one finished? Because yeah, like, nothing going? is going to happen. Yeah. I know they're both going to live and it's all going to be fine. So just, they're just on and on and on. And you're just like, just finish this fight. Mm. Get to the rest of the story. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, this this favorite scene was that big fight. I mean, there's so many really great scenes. Yeah, there. I'd, love, I'd love, to, love to go with them. But yeah, that you feel closure. Yep. The fact that he gets his head kicked off. Yes. He's, again... Particularly in these late 80s, early 90s action films, the bad guy has to die really convincingly. Yeah, he has to be dead. Like, so yeah. a head shattering. <laughs> there, can't, there can't be. So it always has to be like he gets shot, he falls backwards off a cliff. And impales. Onto something <laughs> that impales right through him. Like, yeah. yeah, you're not coming back. Or into this. a wood chipper or something terrible. Yeah, like, that's right. Because the other trick, of course, was like the diehard trick where the bad guy gets strung up by a chain and like... Yeah. After having been thrashed to a pulp, yeah, but then somehow it comes Still out comes at the end. Like, you go, oh! <laughs> yeah. And yeah. then can I, yeah. So yeah, that, that end scene, my my favourite scene. And yeah. yourself? Um, I loved those. I loved that 
um, you know, I thought I felt like the start and the end they foreshadow each other so well, uh, and they do that really well. I it's really different, but but I really liked the restaurant scene. So when they do go to Taco Bell, I think there's some really nice little details: the food, the waitering, the fact of what they're wearing. Um, the fact that the whole, everyone else at the table, like consider John Spartan, like a dinosaur prehistoric, um, when he does swear, it's off in the background. You hear the swearing mm. machine going, um, the idea that he does look at the people stealing the food and it's kind of like, oh, it's a cop thing. It's a hunch thing. Um, like there was so many just little, and, and they basically like the doctor and him and everyone else, like they're all against him. And yet he just sits there and kind of takes it. You know what I mean? And it's kind of a nice impression of who he is beyond that action hero, I think. And then also just all of those little futuristic details, you know, even the food. Like I remember he said, oh, good thing I'm not hungry because it's just these like tiny little things, well, which again. There's a real fashion back in the day. Yeah, it was, but. Like you thought Taco Bell, it's probably faster. It's going to be this big sloppy taco or something, you know, but no, it's this little real, you're exactly right, something that's beyond what we even consider to be food. But I just liked the simplicity of that scene, but it's a really good beat point for the whole film, you know, because it is then him realising that these so-called terrorists are actually just everyday people looking for food, you know. Mm. It's a very old-fashioned story, in fact, isn't it? Like the poor underclass stealing food to survive and the upper class kind of go how dare they they're terrorists you know and and so it's sort of um yeah it's just a nice scene that one like in in the context of the film it really stands out to me so sorry tell me about the science behind demolition man well i what i really liked about this movie in particular because it's from 93 to 2032 which yeah 2032 is only 12 years in the future we can we can see a lot of the technology that will be around 2032 already. And I certainly remember 1993-ish or 1996 <laughs> when I was doing So it's really interesting to see the premonitions they had, the, the ideas they had of what was going to be in the future. And the things that I think they got really spot on, one, electric cars. In 12 years' time, certainly, like already Tesla as a car company is making a profit. Yep. which is unusual. A lot of car companies are not making big profits yep. or they're really struggling to do so. They are building out you know, diversity of things and very affordable and usable electric cars. You can well imagine in 12 years' time, so 2032, we would have you know, electric cars will be very common. I already see one driving here commonly. I, yep. Hybrids are quite common to see. Yep. They're not unusual to see. There is more and more brands like the big brands. Nissan and Mazda and blah, yeah. blah, blah, that are bringing out like more and yeah, more electric so, across their field. So I, I think, yeah, definitely 12 years' time, electric cars, they've got that one spot on, I think. Uh, the other one, self-driving cars. We're not going to have driving cars like they just you know, showed in that. They're like, yeah, that's, that's a little bit too, like, well, we're really trying hard, but there's... That's probably like 20 years away or 30 oh, years away. Geez, <laughs> there are so many problems. I was, again, I was, I was going over all this with my daughter. I, I do a bit of a... A, a pre-game oh, sort of... Um, a pre-podcast. Yeah, sort of <laughs> prep work, but explaining things to my daughter. It's, it's like quite good. But one of the things, of course, is um, anticipation. Like, it's so hard to teach a computer how to anticipate. Because I was telling my daughter, for example, when I'm driving, I'm not really looking at... I look at the cars around me, yeah. obviously. But I pay more attention, for example, I see up ahead 
lights are changing, but the car ahead of me hasn't started putting on its brakes yet. Yeah. And so yeah. I go, oh, he, he might be turning right. And so suddenly, you know, pull out into the slip lane, leaving, you know, a bank of parked cars. So I'm going to start slowing down now. And I look across and I see the guy in the left-hand lane. I'm not looking at the car. I see him, he flicks his head to the his side view mirrors, for example. I go, okay, he might be changing lanes. Mm. And the same time, you know, there's a kid riding a bike past and they're sort of, you know, and you're taking all these little yeah, yeah. subtle cues of going, yeah. What might happen is, okay, uh, that guy is changing lanes. I'll back off a little bit. Yeah, he has turned right. A bus or something the thing, up ahead, yeah, you know, that thing's Put the brakes change, on. Yeah, yeah like trying yeah. to, how do you teach a computer to not look at the car, but look at the person inside the car and how they're flicking their head around? Uh, or, you know, if they keep reaching down to adjust something, so you're going, okay, they're probably not paying great attention. I'm going to give them a bit more room. You can't train a computer to do that very well. You can't do it now, I would say. Sometime in the future, maybe. So until we have a really high proportion of networked cars with just computer controlled, where the computers, you know, the cars can tell each other, hey, I'm changing lanes, and oh, no worries, we'll all orchestrate that. We're just not going to do it. But certainly 12 years' time, largely, well, they, they've got these levels of self-driving from zero through to five, where five is like what they show in the, the movie where it's totally automated. Self-driving. Zero is, is nothing. One is sort of like cruise control, adaptive cruise control, that sort of level. And in between there is, is where you've got you know, the Tesla autopilot, which, and, which will keep you in your lane and maintain your speed and keep distance of cars around you. Uh, and it's done it so well that there have been people filmed sleeping yep. on the freeway. And there's been a couple of crashes to which Tesla sort of says, well, yes, if you go to sleep in your car on the freeway, you're going to have a crash. Yeah. We're not responsible for you going to sleep in a car. Still got to drive. You've got to drive the damn car. Uh, it's kind of their own fault, though, for calling it autopilot when in reality it's. But similar problems with cruise control, people would take their hands off the wheel yep. for some unknowable reason. But yeah, so we're getting towards self driving cars. 12 years' time, I predict there'll be more cars with those helpful features like keep you in your lane, braking you know, avoiding accidents, uh, not so much. So in 93, there were no um, mobile phones. There were some mobile phones, obviously, but they, they weren't a thing. They were a phone. Yeah, you could get a <laughs> phone like that you often like, uh, I remember. Had a huge antenna at the It dock. was fancy to have a, a car phone. A car phone, Like yeah. in your limos. Yeah. That was quite common at that sort of time where yeah. you'd have like a person would be on a phone and have a, a, you know, a cord from yeah. a handset down into the console. And yeah, so there was that sort of thing. So in the movie, they showed people with those are like, um, they did have like little tablets, yeah, computers. Like, so the warden is going through and he's got a, like a tablet computer. Yep. So, absolutely, we'll have yep. those still in the future. The and they're all networked with wireless, wireless network. And yep. you know, the, the cops had their little funny thing, the, the handheld thing. instruction <laughs> giver, yeah, and. Uh, another one, so so that's definitely in. They yeah. they they've predicted tablets, wireless ubiquity, and uh, mobile phones. Even though they still had that the sort of phone booth thing with it, I I don't think there's enough vision there to realise that the power of that would be so cheap that basically everyone, even homeless people, can yeah. afford to have a phone. Type of thing. It's a who was it? Um, was it Edison who said? He will make electricity so cheap that only the wealthy will burn candles. 
Yeah, so... And, and that's the way it is now. It's only the wealthy will go without a phone. Yeah. Because if you're rich enough, you don't need a phone. No. You've got other people to have phones or there are places you're going that will have phones. Yeah, definitely. So they've got the phones. They've got mobile ubiquity. They've got, they got um, you know, electric cars, self-driving cars. I think they're a little bit ahead of the game. Yeah. Um, I, I would say uh, sort of cultural movement towards um, greater tolerance. I like to think that's the case. Is we, we keep having these sort of road bumps where people have to be reminded that no, we are so we still have some systemic issues yeah. to deal with. Uh, and I always like to think that one day in the perfect future, we will be able to make jokes at the expense of you know gender or race mm. because the joke will be that it, it doesn't happen. And no one is alive to remember. It's like we can sort of make jokes about things that happened in the Vikings. Yeah. You know, we yeah. can make Viking jokes because no one really remembers that time. And, and it's the, the traditions of, yeah. of chopping someone's ribs open and pulling their lungs out and flopping them over their shoulders is so far removed from anything we do now that it, you, can it, it. you can laugh about it. But um, yeah, so I, I like to think there'll be one day in the future where you can dress up as a racial stereotype and make silly jokes because people will go, oh, what a silly person, you know, because that that won't be bringing up a history yeah. of evil yeah. and, and oppression anymore. It will just be, a, it'll be a, a pure lampooning parody and people will laugh yeah. about it because it's so ridiculous. And I like to think we are moving towards that. Well, not to the jokes, but you know, we are moving to the point where, and it's, not 12 years, but I did like to see that they sort of show that we're going towards that more Star Trek sort mm. of, uh, you know, people trying to appreciate everyone. And Huxley's an example of that in terms of the violence. So it's like they've been removed from that violence so so rapidly and then had this nice society that she's, you know, because she says, oh, didn't you read my thesis, you know, about the 90s action? You know, like it's, it's, it's kind of that idea, I think, that you're talking yeah. about, that it's like... It, it almost becomes so far removed that it's it's a history lesson that, oh, that happened so long ago that we can't be offended by it, you know? Like, how can we be offended by yeah, it? Yeah, well, I mean, in, in the show, of course, it was only... But I think it's a bit too rapid. Years. Yeah. It, was a bit, yeah. it was a bit speedy. But yeah, it was 100 years. But they're, they're picking on that, you know. So it's quite nice that they didn't show any space travel or they even mention no. anything about that. So that's, that, that's kind of actually, um, I think, pretty good because often there's somewhat... Uh, enthusiastic idea of how yeah. quickly we'll be traipsing about space in a, in a common fashion. But yeah, so I think, I think those are some really good, good predictions that the film has made and have sort of sta- stood Definitely. up. Uh, unlike hoverboards from Back to the Future, <laughs> we have nothing that hovers. Damn it. Where is my hoverboard? I Look, where's my flying car? <laughs> yeah. Well, Ivy was telling me, my, my daughter was telling me about uh, yeah, what we can do with self-driving is flying cars because then you don't have to worry about hitting trees or crashing into yeah. things. Yeah, I said, yeah, absolutely. Once we get cars talking to each other, you could have flying cars yeah. if they self-communicate because, yeah, you can fly above the trees and buildings yeah. and all the cars would communicate and could layer themselves yeah. vertically Automatically. so that they don't hit each other. Fifth and then she said the next thing one is teleporting. Yeah. But you'd have to have security. Otherwise, you could just teleport into Adventure World when it was closed. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was it. Yeah. So, yeah. Oh, pardon me. So, that's, 
that's my Take quick run. Any, I was, I was yeah. going to talk about more about self-driving cars or or more about um, you know the, the cryo, but I've spoken about cryo and stuff. But I thought yeah. it's just interesting to look at the yeah, future predictions, which were um, oh, also the '90s with the old old man. Because, yeah, I mean, and the only songs that got preserved were jingles, as jingles, it turns yeah. out. But that is kind of a bit of a joke on the fact that, uh, what was it called? Um, survivalist bias, I think, yeah, is, is yeah. the concept where you only see the things that survive. Oh, do you hear that great story? I'm just going to quickly tell you. So the, the uh, British warplanes were coming back fighting over Germany, and they got bullet holes all through them. So the, the engineers and so forth, or the, the mathematicians are going to go, okay, so let's map out where all these bullet holes were so we can figure out where we need to reinforce the plane to protect them. And then a little while into that, a, um, you know, an engineer sort of points out, well, hold on, hold on. The problem with that is these are the planes that have come back alive. The bullet holes are where we don't have to protect it because... Yeah, you know, there's there's clusters that are missing these sort of you know around the mm-hmm. cockpit and a bit. So only the planes that didn't get hit in those spots are the ones that survive. So you've yeah. got that survival bias. So I like that little nod there that they're showing the jingles because uh, in the future they think you know they they're the songs that have survived and people go oh that really reminds me yeah. of the nineties you know yeah. or the eighties that's and we get that today where people go oh the, the pop music today is really crap. Yeah, you know, not like like you know Led Zeppelin or some other song, and in reality, you sort of think, well, actually, if you go back to any yeah. given era, yeah. there's some of the most dreadful, trashy, throwaway Songs pop music yeah, yeah. that you remember the classics. Yeah, you listen to it and you sort of go, "This is awful," you know. That, Selection, isn't it? Yeah, that whereas, and I'm sure that in another twenty, thirty years' times, my kids will be looking back and going, "Oh, yeah, the music." Back in the 2020s, those movies that the space brains called classics. Oh, you're gonna. There's some of these classics you're gonna have no. trouble getting rid of. I think mainly because of the effect that Hamlet's on. But anyway, there you go. So that's that's science. But tell me, in this, this is uh, another one of these uh, 90s action films like Total Recall. Yeah. Predator. What what techniques did they use? Do they, do they do anything better or worse in this movie? Or I what think, do you think I think this is really classic Hollywood. Um, the if you take things like the lighting and the cinematography, we're looking at really well lit, clean, um, epic shots like that opening shot of the Hollywood sign and the building. You know, we've we've mentioned talking about like demolishing a whole building. As I said, the trend in these action films to kind of up the ante, up the ante, um, and it's probably even without me thinking about it on too much serious, It's probably even why the '90s moved into sci-fi because sci-fi action because it's kind of like we had all that military action in the 80s it's like well what's the next thing up oh we need to add in science (laughs) you know we need to add in lasers and you know cryogenics and other things and you know you end up with then the matrix at the end which you know at the end of the 90s is the matrix which is a huge sci-fi action which is set again in the 90s you know which is the hilarity of it isn't it that even though it's in the future, it's again like Demolition Man, set back in the '90s. So um, they almost are referencing, referencing, uh, referencing. That's not right. Can't say the word. They're almost like taking the piss on their own 
culture at the moment in the film. <laughs> yes. But it's that up the ante, I think. Every action film, they want to up the ante, up the ante. And we saw that in the 80s and the 90s action. So it's probably why sci-fi is there. Cinematography, nothing really stood out apart from saying, well, hey, this film follows the rule of thirds. It's really cleanly shot. It's um, it, There's epic shots. I think it's more like than the cinematography, talking about the cinematography, it's more that, oh, they're capturing this epic action, you know? So it's more, how can we push that action? So as we said, oh, demolish an actual building. Uh, a guy jumps out of a helicopter and bungee jumps to land, you know? It's how many bad guys can we kill? You know, it's, it's cryogenically freezing people and having huge mechanical arms and those sort of things. So to me, that's where there's more power in this. Um, and it's very Hollywood in that way. I thought the sound, like you mentioned, it's funny the sound in this film because not only do we have that song at the end that's a little bit sort of soft compared to what the film is maybe. Um, also, I noticed like that scene where uh, Phoenix has it happen a couple of times. There's some weird 80s, 90s commercial rap beating going yeah, on that, that I didn't sound... quite... Like that scene where he does do the computer and all the cops come up to arrest him the first yeah, time. There's... there's like a... Yeah, like a weird... weird... Rap sound that yeah, comes that, over. Uh, record like was, scratching, yeah. sort of electronic. It's almost like he's going to do something bad, but it, I don't know. That felt took me a little bit out of the scene, but I don't know if I noticed that back in the nineties. Like, I'm not too sure. Um, and then beyond that, nothing really stood out musically to me. You know, there's like a few orchestral hits. Yeah, and that, you know, that is, there's moments obviously, but it didn't. I don't think it was as powerful. Um, definitely, the color played a role because. You look at the 90s, um, it's dark, it's bleak, um, it's night, it's, you know, it's, it's not colourfully lit at all. Whereas then once we're in the future, um, you know, it's all white and clean and sophisticated. So they definitely did that standard sort of thing. And then when we go underground, again, it's dark and gritty and greys and, greys and, and, and you know, greens. And it, so it brings it right back down. So I think colour-wise played just that symbol, symbolic role of you know, the old versus the future, you know, the clean and, and all that. Um, I think symbols, which are all those things that you just said for science, like they come back into play. Like it's really showing us the future and the symbolic of that versus the past. So the fact that, yeah, we implant everyone so we know where everyone is and then everyone pays that way, that makes everything safer because you can't pay for anything, you know, if, you, if it's not your microchip. Um, and even the fact that the cops are like, oh, we've tracked him, he stole the car and the car has gone here, we'll just send police, dispatch police, oh, we've got him, you know. Um, you know, it's like it's all of the sort of niceties of the future versus what was bad about that bleak, violent, um, uh, old old world of the 90s. Um, even the sex, I remember, you know, the fact that it is virtual reality, that they kind of have a bit of sexual virtual reality and... Huxley says something along the lines of, oh, fluid transfer, no, you know, there's too many diseases, this is the safer way. And then he even says, well, how do you make children then? And he's like, oh, that's in a lab, you know, like even if you're in love, you wouldn't do that. You know, it's sort of a bit beyond us now, you know. And so it's like it's quite symbolic to me of how that future plays out. So I liked that. Yeah, but that's about all I probably want to say about filmmaking. Baba, I noticed that there are three writers. On this one. Yeah. Now, a lot of the films we've, we've uh, looked at have only had one writer or maybe mm. a, a co-writer. Three writers. I was reading... Oh, my goodness me. I can't remember who it was now. 
he was indicating some red flags on movies that were bad. Mm. And one of the ones was if the trailer basically tells you the whole story. Yeah, that's always a good that's example. A bad, yeah, and the other one was... <laughs> I agree with that, actually. If there are five or more writers yeah. credited. Yeah. So this one's got three on there, but is I've, it... How, this how one, well, I mean, I think as a Hollywood film, this ticks all those boxes, don't you think? Like, you've got the opposite start to the end. I've, I was very impressed that, as I said to you, like, I, I, there was so much jam packed in that first seven minutes of the film. You know, that really then sets up the rest of the film, doesn't it? But yeah. they, they, I've seen other films that you could, you could even argue, as you know, with story structure, that seven minutes could have been 30 minutes. Easy. And in fact, it could have then taken him into fun and games was being frozen and then brought back, you know what I mean, to part two. But they crammed all that into seven minutes. Yeah, this is the opening incredible. image, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. It's pretty much like, because even your inciting incident is then like him being frozen and then being brought back. Like, so they really jammed so much into that opening bit. So I think these three, I agree. I have seen a few films over the times over time that once you get up to three or four or five, sometimes it's like, this film is by so-and-so and so-and-so, so-and-so, and so-and-so. And from what my knowledge of the industry is, that means that someone wrote it, then they've bought that script, and then they've given it to other writers to kind of basically rework it, which might mean deleting the whole thing and doing it again. And then someone else has bought it again and given it to other writers. And so you're right, like as soon as you get into the fourth or fifth writing it can be dodgy, but I, I don't know the exact details, but I think these three guys wrote it together Yeah, what I gave. It, it so, felt tight enough, I think. Yeah. It's, um, it, There's I the would... big one-liners that we've talked about. There's lots of those one-liners. Yeah, Both it's... Phoenix and Stallone have one-liners. I think we're coming out of, with, with The Demolition Man, and I'd have to check my timelines, I think. Yeah. I think it was we're just coming out of all of that. So this is sort of yeah. like one of the last... Big, big, you know, that action, style action blockbuster where, where you get one line. Where lots of guns firing. There's yeah. lots of flashing in your face. Because I'm thinking of action movies now and since oh, The not. Matrix, yeah. I think. The yeah. Matrix was a turning point. Which, and we're going to cover The Matrix one day. Yeah, we will. Because it is... And this is one of the things that people who are, say, born in the last 20 years and maybe maybe haven't even seen The Matrix or they've only sort of seen it relatively recently. Mm-hmm. Those, yeah, it's an okay film. It's pretty good. But one thing you got to realize is before The Matrix was Demolition Man, Total Recall, yeah. Starship Troopers, um, Robocop 1 and 2, yeah. all these sorts of things. And then after The Matrix, that's when you started getting uh, some of these ones like, you know, Abraham Lincoln, Vampire Hunter, Hansel <laughs> and Gretel. Uh, yeah. you, you got um, well, uh, even, the... even John Wick and, yeah. and some of these other films which... Which are also like the action hero takes an action, then spins and swoops, and the camera yeah. moves around, and like it changes. The, the jacket flies out, and smoke. You know, it's all it's all really like you look at this stuff, which is really raw and brutal, mm. and particularly say Total Recall with all those blood squibs. Like, yeah, and and they sort of choreographed it, mm. um, and it's 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 a good style, but. Sometimes it's nice to have this really brutal raw action, yeah. which is just... Well, that, I think that's what I was saying before that Wesley Snipes and Sylvester Sloan, they threw some punches at each other. Mm. I'm not talking like... I think they liked each other and everything like that, but just as actors, they were like, oh, let's just throw a few punches, you know? I remember Mel Gibson saying that, I think, with Lethal Weapon, it was the same thing, that they kind of threw a few real punches. They didn't... They didn't 
they didn't choreograph every single little mind. What you're what you're just saying there, like yeah. once we had the matrix where everyone's like, oh my god, this is now how action's supposed to be. Yeah, it's like, oh, we've got to have a camera swooping under a car as he flies out, and then someone else is punching him, and there's bullets flying. But like, it all becomes slow mowed down action to speed it all up, and every little thing is intricate detail, which is cool. Like, don't get me wrong, it's cool. But it's like back in here in the eighties and then the nineties when this action was going on. It was a little bit more old-fashioned, you know, throw some punches, shoot them up, blood squibs, you know, how many people get shot in the head and all this kind of stuff. And explosions. It was all about those big explosions, I think, is what they went for. Wasn't yeah, because they, they, they were like, real fireballs back Yeah, then. they were real, like they were blowing, they were blowing stuff up. Where Some of them are miniatures and then they, they're made to look like real. I know that that happened a lot. But those miniatures were amazing detail, you know, miniatures. But yeah. they were still like, they might have been the size of your fridge. Yeah. You know, we're not talking like just a little Lego set. We're talking quite a big thing that they blew up, you know. Um, but yeah, so it's, it's, it's cool action, isn't it, compared to the action style then changes because of the Matrix. And we'll have to come back to that. So yeah. let us know what you thought about Demolition Man. Um, and what we also have spoken about it tonight, whether you agree with the science, whether the filmmaking, the narrative structure, too many writers or not enough. Yeah, <laughs> how many writers? I've, I've, I've often looked and thought about writing, co-writing like a book or a, or a screenplay or something, mm. and uh, I can imagine it's quite a difficult process I think it's to, a good to and bad work, work out your workflow yeah. and, and get it going. I think if you work together and you, that's how you work, it probably is okay. But maybe if you just came to it the first time, it'd be a bit weird. I, I think there'd be great, great benefits to Because so many things you, you can be blind to of your own. Yeah, it's very true. Your own stuff. It's you think true. it's good enough, I can't be bothered or whatever. And then someone else puts in a bit of extra effort and comes out good. So let us know. You can get a hold of us at uh, net online. Yep. Uh, Twitter is like gravyundone or spacebrainspodcast. And Instagram, Facebook, Space Brands Space Podcast. Podcast. Yeah, so or, plenty of places. Or there's Gravity Undone on those as well. Yeah, it's like you'll find one through the yeah. other if you search it. <laughs> or just Google Space Brains, and then Space you'll Brain. probably come up with something. Space Brains um, on Mandra Mail. That's right. That's you'll find us through there now, which is great. Um, our next episode, we're coming back to something much more recent: an Australian film called Occupation. Occupado by Mr. Spark. Yeah, Luke Spark. Luke Spark, Spark Industries. Starring <laughs> Dan, Daniel Ewing. Yeah, I think that was it from Home and Away. Uh, and, we got, and we've got uh, Clone Warrior himself. What's that guy's name? The, the oh, Once Were Warriors. Yeah. Ooh, okay. <laughs> the Maui guy that I just always forget his name. But anyway, Fantastic stay tuned in next time for that. Hit us up. Let us know what you think about Demolition Man. And we will... See you next time. See ya. Bye.